Executive Corona Committee. It's our 78th session, New Paths Out of Trauma. Physically, I'm alone here, but Rainer is with us in the Zoom call. I'm there. Okay, we have uh, founded the committee summer last year with the goal of finding an evidence-based analysis of the virus and the consequences of the measure. We thought we would have taken four to six weeks and we're still at it and new things emerge everywhere and behind the scenes things are going on. We'll come to that in the near future. We have already worked on some legal issues and today we're going to focus on the topic of Trona and the title has a very special meaning for me. It's the title of a book my father wrote. He was a psychology professor and unfortunately died in 2013 and he was a Phrygian um, professor of psychology looking into trauma. And his aim was to give uh, help to the people. And for that, he developed a method which moved away from the pure, um, deep, in-depth analyses and discussions on where we talk a lot about your problems. And he developed a mixture where I think it was movement of the eyes and special behaviorisms, behavioral patterns and analysis where he tried to help people in a quick way in traumatizing situations or after them. And he worked with the traumatized children, soldiers in, in Mozambique and the people who were traumatized in a major train accident which had happened in Germany and that's what he worked with. So in that sense, we thought that was a good idea to title our session today. I wish my father would be with us still and he might have understood the issues that are going on and would be able to support us. But I think in some way he is still with us. We have been through a couple of things. Rainer, legal-wise, maybe you could share what has happened. We had a court hearing. Yes, that was uh, the action that we had uh, started about a year, uh, a year ago for the biggest karaoke bar, the Green Mango in Berlin, on their behalf. And this karaoke bar had to stop business activities because during lockdown nobody could go there and even though if it were lifted and people could go back nobody will come if you have to wear a mask in a bar like this you don't you want to sing you don't want to have a mask so they had to uh, discontinue the business activities they couldn't go for it anymore uh, all of the staff has been dismissed and it was mr drosten who was taken to court because we uh, showed and proved that the explanations and declarations done by mr drosten about the asymptomatic um, uh, situations and that his pcr tests were wrong and so the statement saying that there are asymptomatic infections 
are wrong because he was given the hint by a scientist who had looked at his preprint and said, look, this Chinese lady that you took as a proof uh, that there are uh, asymptomatic um, infections did have symptoms. She had taken paracetamol. Uh, not only does it uh, not taste good, but you can uh, therefore fight symptoms. Therefore, uh, the impression was made and Fauci uh, was also saying that uh, it was a German scientist who mentioned that, that everybody potentially is dangerous that you meet in your family, friends, anybody on the street, even if they look healthy, even if they don't have any symptoms, he could be dangerous. Normally, you say somebody who doesn't show any symptoms is healthy. And the second statement he made was that with his version of the PCR test, it was actually Kerry Mullis who had invented this. And he had misused this PCR test, saying that with his version of it, uh, you can figure out of the ones that don't show any symptoms, which ones actually do have COVID. And these PCR tests cannot distinguish between uh, anything and they cannot filter out um, a, an infection. And the way he did it, uh, by force, he had to produce false positives, 100% false positives. We don't want to go into detail now, but I want to go back to the action. Uh, that was the background and the very fact, and this is the second area, that he was the most important advisor to the government. Maybe he still is, but at least he was at the time. And he was... Um, uh, doing his uh, podcast in the radio too and he stated uh, wrong facts asymptomatic reactions infections and his pcr test and he was the one who had advised the politicians to bring about a lockdown he should have been neutral but one should not go beyond one's own role which is exactly what he did in the context of his recommendations with the Leopoldina, the seventh ad hoc uh, business uh, that asked again for lockdowns. Uh, that was, of course, uh, was down to Mr. Wieland, insider told us so. So if I go beyond my role as an advisor and then I demand a lockdown, which is what he did, he said, you know, this is your last chance. If you don't do it now, um, then uh, if you do if that kind of false information, well, then you're responsible for it. So, for example, for the discontinuation of business of this karaoke bar and the 40 people, I think it's about 40 people who were dismissed. Um, and this was an uh, open court session at the uh, outside the courtroom. They were received and they said, well, it is a little bit tight in here. We don't have much space because of Corona. And those of you who don't have a mask, of course, have to prove that um, you have a medical indication that you cannot wear a mask. And then they had to wait outside. Uh, there were three security guards as if uh, we uh, they expected some kind of uh, bomb or or uh, rowdy behavior, but uh, they were quite surprised that there was completely normal people who just wanted to sit in and listen. So 
the court then went into session, masked, of course, uh, which is not the reason why uh, we say that they had, uh, in, in fact, not been impartial. But if we take them to court um, and then the bias is shown and you have these measures locked down, masks, and then you in court uh, bring about these masks, that shows um, perhaps they were not completely uh, biased, but uh, it shows that they don't have any problem at all with the position of the opposite. So indirectly, they show that they agree with the opposing side. If not, they would not actually wear those masks. But it was even worse than that. Seven people were allowed to go in, then we came in as lawyers, and when I took out um, my documents, they told me that I had to take put on my mask. I told them I can't because I have a medical indication I cannot wear a mask. And he says, well, we don't respect that. And then he says, uh, I ask you to do that. And uh, I said, sorry, I have a medical indication. I cannot wear a mask. And uh, the maybe I have lung cancer or asthma or something like that. Uh, and of course, I don't have to tell the judge what my diagnosis was. Uh, but he didn't want to uh, allow for that. So that meant that in this court trial, in which only lawyers may speak on behalf of the defendant, and all of a sudden uh, the uh, green mango curve didn't have a lawyer anymore, and it was jotted down as lawyers not present. And I would like to thank this incredible support back then. I should have said that, and I say it again. Some of these um, people were watching and said what happened afterwards. So we couldn't go back in. <clears throat> and then the judge, the presiding judge, it's a group of three judges, and the presiding judge uh, said that he could not um, check if my medical indication was correct. What do you mean by check? Is he a, uh, does he have a medical background or, or did he want to check if the document was correct? And if he wanted to check it, why didn't he want to see it? So I think it was a way to get uh, feel insecure. So he asked the lawyer of the opposing party uh, that, uh, in fact, now they would have to ask for a court judgment in absence. Uh, with that, you have a court judgment. Um, and that kind of uh, sentence, of course, you can, um, by omission, you can then uh, uh, this kind of default judgment uh, can, of course, be appealed within two weeks. But it means that the judge makes sure that the defendant is completely without any support because uh, they throw out the lawyer and they use the absence of the lawyer to say that they don't have a chance to ask for judgment by default. So 
And this continues and goes on and on. So we say that uh, uh, there is an appeal on the basis of bias. It's a clear case uh, of misjudgment. And, and then somebody asked me, hey, you know, why didn't you just uh, put on your mask to avoid this perversion of judgment? And uh, well, you know, they were trying to force us, especially in this kind of trial where it is exactly that kind of issue. So it is actually coercion because you have uh, the right and the duty to ask for um, a new judgment because uh, the judge is biased. Because if not, um, my client uh, will definitely lose. Um, you know, they are using these kind of tricks in order to make us lose. And then uh, we could have said we can actually take it to the next level and appeal it. But in German law, in the case of doubt in such important cases that nobody wants to touch, uh, they normally have one verbal trial. Why? Because if I really wanted to, and if I wanted to have a, a real judgment and not only a judgment by default, and then it would start again from the beginning. But if I had a real sentence, a real judgment, so having, you know, wearing my mask and all the whole thing, and I would have accepted all of these dealings. And then the thing that I ex expect this court to do, not one word is written, and then uh, they uh, <coughs> jot down in the minutes that this was being discussed. I mean, the way they often do it. And then certainly I would have received a judgment uh, where they say this is unsubstantiated and so on. But this is exactly what the court has to announce in advance and giving you the chance to respond. But if they do it in such a manner of assault, then, uh, of course, you are in a negative position. But in German court cases, it, it is customary that there is no second trial, even during the appeal, but they have a so-called alimony sentence saying, well, we looked at it and uh, all of us, we think that there is no chance that there is any prospect of success. So if we had a situation of that nature, I wouldn't have had a uh, second hearing. And then, of course, I could have gone to the Supreme Court, but uh, there, of course, they um, do not accept all cases. And if I'd been silly, and uh, would uh, the moment I saw that they were hostile, if I would have gone along with them, I would have had only one trial, and then we would have gone home with a real judgment. So this way, we still have a chance to turn it around. Uh, the same goes to Wolfgang Vodat, uh, the action we have there. He was going to have his trial with the same people, and uh, there I uh, have a ruling that I've never seen before. I don't know if you can show it, perhaps because then all of you can see the document. So there we are asked and told that 
security is uh, provided uh, by the guards outside and so in other words they make sure we are in charge and whoever comes in here either wears a mask or has a medical indication that he doesn't need to wear a mask and if not show a PCR test. So a new situation but it's still we go in the same direction. They're trying everything to make it very difficult for uh, us at court. I've never seen anything of that nature before and uh, by the end of the year we will see something there we have it there we have it uh, you see it here on the first page uh, they point out right away here I can't even read it uh, it's so far away but on the third page maybe the next page if I may well they were talking about that you're not allowed to walk in that you have to uh, heed the announcements by the security guards and but on the third page it reads that you must wear a mask or and he, remember and he told me that he wouldn't uh, recognize any medical indication that I don't need to wear a mask plus the PCR test so and this is precisely the PCR test that we're talking about. Yes, Rainer, it goes this beyond even, that. This, this even says that this PCR test, just like the uh, test, has to be uh, submitted in written to the protocol. That's quite adventurous. Yeah, it's rather grotesque. Uh, but um, that, of course, uh, gives us the chance to go into the next level. We, sometimes you say, well, you know, if you've waited for one year, you have to ask now. Well, I'm a, I'm a surgeon. I also wear a mask. Well, I'm not a surgeon. I'm a lawyer. And as a lawyer, as an attorney at law, I have to represent my clients. And I do this for all of us. So, and this person is uh, taken to court, the person who seems to be the responsible party uh, for all of these measures. Also, this mask deal and the lockdown that he was asking for and demanding. In a situation like that, you don't bend down and tell the court you can do whatever you want. So we meet at eye level and Mr. Jan and myself, we are independent organs of the law. We do not receive um, orders. And therefore, in a situation like this, I must say, I know how it is to fight at court, um, to litigate with people who are powerful politically or otherwise, uh, and to bend down, no way, no way. And this is something that makes it possible the world over to uh, showcase the situation of uh, German law. Uh, German lawyers always thought that they were better. If I look at the uh, training in the USA, I know that the Americans uh, are doing a better job than here in Germany. So much for that. Okay, quite massive here, uh, especially against the background that they are quite sure to assert that no attestations are accepted. So it's quite clear that if that is in the regulations, uh, I think it's quite something 
and in the uh, district court, um, I have been in uh, negotiations in courtrooms, and I didn't even have to wear a mask, and I didn't even have to show my uh, my certificate. And uh, that seems to be a, quite a uh, an issue. They are afraid afraid of. Um, not being uh, being convinced of that uh, attestation and uh, they're moving backwards now and I think that shows us these four pages of uh, ruling saying maybe there's an attestation but you need a PCR test on top of that in order to somehow uh, I don't know uh, create this this uh, troublesome situation but they are apparently not sure of themselves, otherwise they wouldn't have come up now with these additional uh, loopholes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's a way to intimidate people, uh, especially, you know, this four-page regulations. I've never seen that before. I've been, I've been working in the courts now for 45 years. I've never seen anything of that nature. Uh, so I get there late at, at an upper regional court, and the court was completely relaxed. Yeah, wear your mask or not, whichever you, way you choose. Uh, well, normally on, on the hallway, they are supposed to wear masks, but if you have a medical indication, then you don't need to. We were not wearing masks, the court didn't wear masks. Uh, and they uh, didn't ask for it, and they didn't ask for the medical indication, because if a lawyer says, I have a medical indication, as a lawyer, as an attorney, you do not doubt uh, that statement. But uh, you have to be really relaxed in a moment like that, and you have to keep it to yourself and be serene, keep calm. Uh, these are ways of intimidating us. They are shooting at us, especially in Bavaria. They're under a lot of pressure. I can only say, keep your calm um, and we will get through with it. And then we will clean it up. Well, I've had the idea a couple of days ago when I was asked and going into a restaurant whether I was vaccinated and spontaneously said, I said, of course not. What do you think of me? And uh, I think we need this mentality to a certain extent because many people see the vaccination which is an issue uh, of course with people who are uh, nudged to do that and because of their professional situation that they are not accepted if they're not vaccinated but um, as to now there is no mandatory vaccination and to oppose that showing that you're not vaccinated uh, means that you have looked into this topic and you have asserted the risks and you were able to do that for yourself and um, really have the the stomach to to stand up to this um, the the uh, wind blowing and being under the weather so I think it is something to find that situation in that situation and not be uh, getting down under. I think that is an issue of courage. And against this background, I would like to uh, show that this is a way to, to see this. And uh, you don't have to see yourself as the troublemaker who causes fear of other people because you're not vaccinated or you're uh, kind of the nail sticking out of the board. 
there's just um, this uh, this image that they use in Japan or this metaphor that they use in Japan that this nail has to be nailed down. And um, this applies to people who are being hospitalized at the moment who are not most of all the unvaccinated, but uh, from my personal um, uh, knowledge and the people I know um, is that uh, are people who are vaccinated and who are suffering symptoms and not the unvaccinated, but that's only my personal view uh, of the people that I know. But we hear this from England and uh, other places that this doesn't seem to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Okay, we have a number of guests with us today. First of all, we'll start off with guests from France. Santier, Azabea, and Regenie. I'm happy uh, to be with you uh, again today. And, uh, Great to see you. Great to see you. So I think you are going to tell us a little bit about a new criminal complaint that you have filed based on a analysis of um, Ariane Billerin, which we're going to talk to later. Maybe you can give us a little bit information about this. Uh, suit that's or the complaint that's what does it the status is there i think i, I will uh, uh, let xavier explain because i'm under uh, subject to secrecy of the investigation <laughs> so uh, i i can help to explain but uh, i prefer that xavier uh, um, introduce the the criminal complaint to you very good very good mm -hmm. Okay, well, thanks a lot, uh, Virginie. Uh, thank you, uh, Viviane and Rainer, for uh, uh, letting us present uh, uh, the background of this uh, legal action. So uh -huh. here I am speaking today as the president of one of the civilian association called Bon Sens. Um, we have been very active uh, uh, in order to defend, I would say, the civil rights of our fellow countrymen in France and I've been very active trying to link with various associations around the, the globe. Um, and I have been in touch uh, back in May uh, with uh, the Indian Bar Association. I understand that you interviewed Deepali Oja and they filed a yes. complaint against the uh, WHO and various other, I would say, parties um, uh, that they believed are committing, I would say, offenses towards that population. Um, we worked extensively with various members of the board of uh, Bon Sens, as well as with some lawyers in France, and we sort of asked uh, Virginie to uh, come up with a strategy of how to conduct the same, I would say, procedure in Europe. Um, of course, it actually raises a number of challenges because we are, we are under constitutional law in France, they have case law, um, the legislation systems are different, the approach, um, and, um, and we, we started by asking ourselves what was the foundation uh, that we wanted to attack and what was the foundation of the, the, um, the, the, the potential claims. Um, and, um, and the first starting point was the, the role that the media played. Okay, in um, in this in broadcasting uh, message, whether the message is correct or incorrect, that's one thing. But if you're broadcasting a message which is correct, you're amplifying this message. If you're broadcasting a message that is incorrect, you're amplifying this message, and therefore it's the repetition of this message that actually creates 
um, uh, uh, potential damage to uh, or, or link uh, or lead an individual to conduct an action. And so we started by uh, filing this um, lawsuit, which is called a lawsuit against X, because we're not naming any individuals, we are aiming at some groups of media. But the idea was to say, okay, these media have been broadcasting a number of messages that relies on partial scientific evidence. Um, and for us, the foundation was that was disloyalty of information that leads to action, especially decision with respect to vaccination or decision with respect to no treatment or decision with respect to stay at home. So these media ha have played an instrumental role in keeping our population either away from the doctors or broadcasting incomplete information. So the foundation of this really is if you have an incomplete information as a media, then you're engaging to some form of propaganda. Okay, um, uh, part of the work uh, that we uh, looked at is how can you justify, how can you factualize all of this? Because it's of course really difficult. So if you suppress part of the narrative with respect to an early treatment by saying there is a medical consensus um, that uh, early treatment don't work or that paracetamol is going to be the only drug that's there. What you're doing is you're impressing upon individual certain elements and you're uh, modifying the perception of individuals. And this is conducted by, I would say, uh, the, the media. Now in France and in many other countries, the responsibility relies on the director of publication of a media. Uh, he has a a penal responsibility whenever he's broadcasting a message. And if you can prove that this message has been um, broadcasted and is wrong, then he still has the responsibility of being broadcasted. And so the idea behind this is where this message wrongful, where this message willingfully wrongful, um, and how did this message influence the um, our fellow citizen to either go and get vaccinated or stay at home or other form of treatment. So it's really relying, uh, we, we, the background is really to work on what was the role of the amplification of this media in either suppressing access to treatments or incentivizing an individual to do something that would be against his interest, okay? Um, so the just by way of um, uh, uh, detail, the, the, the lawsuit is about 100 pages long. There's 700 pages of annex, uh, so it's quite comprehensive. The work that has been done with a group of scientists is to bring as many facts as possible. These facts uh, can fall into various categories. They can fall into the category of are early treatment effective, is the vaccination effective or the side effects present or not? Um, as much as the psychological impact that repeat of the re repetition of a message. That's why the work of Ariane is very important because here you're entering into the space of psychology where facts are more difficult to actually uh, demonstrate to um, any form of uh, a judge or legal system. So you have to rely on expertise, independent expertise. All of the parties that have played a role in these lawsuits are totally independent. 
I, we do not have any link to the pharmaceutical industry nor any link to um, uh, or any conflict of interest. And it's important. Um, it, it's been um, uh, this uh, uh, claim has been uh, carried by two associations. One of them is Bon Sens. The other one is an association of doctors uh, who is a long-standing um, establishment of uh, dealing with, I would say. Uh, uh, um, I would say good medicine practices probably is the best way of describing. <coughs> so that's basically what we did. It was filed last week because it's early days. The work that has been done is to provide a canvas which is as comprehensive as possible. Um, if I go into the details, there are two strands of the work. The first thing is the, um, the, 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 the legal framework to provide evidence and to substantiate evidence. And the second one is to link this with the evidence-based medicine legal framework. So in the legal framework, um, you know, you have to provide the strongest level of evidence and the evidence-based medicine, um, the highest level of proof has been described as the meta-analysis and the lowest level of proof is at the base of the pyramid and it, what's interesting is that we've excluded early treatment on the highest level of proof, and we've included early um, vaccination on the lowest element of proof. So we have, um, uh, we've probably have an excess of caution on excluding a treatment that could potentially work that's been in place for 35 years, 40 years with very little side effects, and included on a low basis of precautionary measures. Um, uh, vaccination. So really there's a reversal of the rules of the regulation and this is what we're trying to uh, demonstrate within the uh, within the claim. The, um, to go a little bit further, we will now deepen into who bears those messages. Who are the doctors that have been advocating those messages on television? Who are the politicians that have been advocating? But this is the object of a second um, uh, complaint. Yeah, I think it's a good project to, you know, to also go in that direction. I mean, we've been <clears throat> in Germany. The the criminal court is at this point is not a great hope, um, you know, hope. But I think it's important to to write these legal briefs or like you know hand in these these complaints so that uh, we can also document what's going on. And who knows, you know, if the if the direction of the wind changes then it might very soon um, be an opportunity for, for judges who are you know, willing to, to um, comply to the law um, to take up such, a, such an endeavor and, and really come up with the right decision. Xavier, is it, um, can you rely on your prosecutors? Can you rely on your district attorneys uh, I'm asking this question because here in Germany, we cannot. Uh, the European um, Supreme Court has decided, I think, two years ago that German prosecutors, the prosecutor's office, is not independent enough to issue arrest, international arrest warrants. Um, 
because there's always a fear that this is whatever is being done in terms of arrest warrants, inter international arrest warrants, that there's always some bias, there's politics behind it. And uh, German prosecutors, for example, even if they did decide, if one of them is willing to decide to investigate these matters that we're dealing with here, the PCR test, that it's, all, it's a fraud. Um, he would very quickly uh, get an order from his superiors or from the uh, Ministry of Justice to stop doing that. Is it uh, that you in, in France, just like in Italy, have a different kind of um, district attorney's office, a different type of much more independent prosecutors? Um. Okay. Well, I, first of all, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not. You know, my experience of this is as a um, as a citizen. Um, so uh, maybe Virginie can actually talk a little bit more about this. But my perception is that if you are establishing a penal case, it totally depends what your penal case is about. You know, here you're talking about international arrest warrants. Here, um, in the case that we have at hand, we are talking about the responsibility of the director of publication of a media. So in essence, what the judge has to decide is did this person broadcast a message that's wrong and what are the consequences? So what we're doing is we're not really, we're seeking on establishing the responsibility of this individual in the conduct of a wrong, the, the broadcasting of a wrongful message. So it's quite simple. And I believe the system is sufficiently independent to decide upon this simple case. Mm -hmm. We're not seeking for the responsibility of the commanditaries or the end, I would say, users or the, uh, the end players. Here we're only asking, okay, it's quite simple. If you put in front of everybody in television um, a doctor that has some conflict of interest and you don't ask whether he has some conflict of interest and that doctor is advocating that um, uh, a treatment is, has been suppressed on the basis of um, uh, th that there is general consensus. Is this true or not? Okay. So here you're not talking about who is the commanditary and who is the, the, the uh, who is asked for that. You're really asking, was this right or wrong? So it's a simple answer to ask. Now, is if, and that responsibility of the person is engaged because if it's, if it's a lie, okay. And if it, if it, um, the consequences are that some individuals have acted upon this and went to not didn't go to the doctors or went for vaccination. Like in, like um, at one point there is a statement that says that uh, there is eighty percent of uh, hospitalized people who are non-vaccinated. Now is this true or not? Now if this message is wrong, okay, then the consequences are it it it. Just that drives some individuals to go to get vaccinated. Now, if it's wrong, it's a false promises. It's like disloyal information. So, for me, the the, the justice, um, at least the penal system, is sufficiently independent today to decide on this. Now, then, what it will do is it will in turn trickle down on who say who said that. You know, here it's I'm just responsible. Who's responsible for broadcasting this message? Mm -hmm. I don't know, Virginie, whether you want to add anything on this. I would like to add that there's also the question of the censorship from the GAFAM, which is uh, the object of this uh, 
criminal complaint. Um, I would like to, to say also that uh, it's quite new uh, to fulfill um, uh, complaints in front of the um, criminal court. Mm -hmm. I would like to say that because uh, the previous complaints were in front of the prosecutors and this one is in, in front of the dean of the uh, judicial um, judges. Mm -hmm. That, could make, that could make a really big difference then. Yes. Because yes. you don't have to go through the prosecutors and it doesn't make a difference if they're independent or not. But I do, I do believe that you, you do have special prosecutors just like they do in Italy. They have specially um, educated prosecutors, anti-mafia prosecutors who are truly independent. And I think you have something similar to that. However, you don't even have to worry about that because you go directly to the court. And this is a, this is a novelty, right? This is brand new. Yes, it's not not new, but it's because uh, we uh, we write the, the fact that it's a crime, mm -hmm. and when it's a crime, there's a specific article in the criminal uh, code that mm -hmm. uh, says that you, you don't need to go in front of the prosecutor. We can go uh, directly in front of the dean of the ju um, investigating judge. So very mm -hmm. it's more direct. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we will have the chance to 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 that the, the judges open the investigation because uh, they can re they can refuse, but uh, we we need to try. <laughs> we of need course, to try. yes. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. it's the first one uh, uh, that I know. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, and and we, also, we also we always have. To I'm sorry, Lorraine. you go back on this. I think it's. It's, it's, as Virginie says, it's a first, but it's also um, not entirely directed towards um, the end game, end gamers. It's really directed is to the responsibility of broadcasting of a message, okay? The role that they're playing in suppressing or in, dri in driving a consumer. So it's, if you are an, into antitrust or into, into competitive landscape, what you have is you have a, a duty of loyalty of information. Okay, was the information that was delivered to the French citizen loyal? And, uh, or, or was it disloyal? Was it willingfully disloyal? Was it unwillingfully disloyal? So it makes it fairly easy for the dean of judges to address this issue. It's quite, it's quite um, straightforward you know, the, as a decision. Of course, they can refuse, but for us, it was much, much easier to actually address um, because there are so many messages that have been broadcasted, be it in Germany, be it in, in France, in many countries. You've had the same message, okay? The, um, you can sort of uh, uh, put them into various categories. The first one is uh, the social distancing measures. Are they efficient or not? The second one is uh, treatments, a suppression of treatments, you know, suppression of or, or uh, pushing doctors um, not to actually prescribe things. So you're suppressing a weapon in the um, in, in the tool case of a doctor, um, and and then there is uh, the reason why you would suppress uh, a, a treatment that has potentially some side effects, but didn't have some side effects for fifty years, and suddenly you you find out those elements, and then you have a new treatment where you are taking the totally different approach to evaluation of this new treatment, and you're putting all your eggs in the same basket, so you have this message that in on appearance. 
Um, and Ariane can talk about this much more in the way uh, she expresses that in, in, in the propaganda and the totalitarianism approach. Because I think it's very important to look at it on the psychological consequences this has on people. Because what you drive with disloyal information is you drive beliefs. You don't drive facts in the population. And it's if you act upon belief, then you're uh, it's like a religion. Okay, it's like um, uh, uh, you know, is Apple better than Samsung? You know, <laughs> you need facts on one hand, but then you have the soft element of the brand. And here, the soft elements that are being drive, driven into the population are of an importance, in, in, in my view. And we need to be very careful to rely on the facts and the consequences of those facts, especially if those facts are distorted. Yeah, I think it's a good, yes, go ahead, Viviane. No, it's very interesting. I mean, I think it'll be, we have here, um, uh, Dr. Ariane um, Pilarin with us. She basically had she's her thoughts about this whole thing, are the basis of what you filed now, and I think maybe we should um, switch to her to to get a little bit, you know, more background on this this whole um, constellation. Um, maybe I can just introduce her a little bit. She's a clinical psychologist, a doctor in psychopathology, uni university lecturer, author, a speaker and consultant. She has written more than 25 books and she spe specializes in questions of like bullying, uh, paranoia, abuse of power and the recovery of personal power. Um, maybe could we, and I think um, Xavier, you're going to do the translation into French. Yeah, here I'm shifting from my role as a as a translator. I will help, and with Virginie, we will help uh, Ariane to um, conduct sort of the interview. Very good. Okay, perfect. So maybe um, one thing. The, the, the three, the three, Viviane. Let's let's point out the three basic questions that we can talk about or will talk about. Why do people engage in a collective delusion? Why do some people not join, regardless of educational status? And then the totalitarian system uses harassment as a method to establish itself, the ultimate tool of the pathological paranoids. What is harassment? And she's also going to talk about the intention to harm. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, so maybe we start with the first question. Why do people engage in, this, um, in such a collective delusion? What's the what's the psychological background of this thing? Donc Ariane, c'est clair. Trois questions. La première, c'est pourquoi les gens se sont, on va dire, ont participé à cette cet effort, on va dire, collectif de désillusion. Et la dernière question, ça sera sur la partie du totalitarisme et les les conséquences. Okay. Guten Tag. Bonjour. Je vais parler en français. Euh, Xavier, tu me dis selon le, le rythme. Hein, euh, je vais parler d'un point de vue de philosophie morale et politique et de psychopathologie, c'est-à-dire euh, l'étude des processus psychiques, individuels et collectifs qui font que nous sommes dans cette situation aujourd'hui. So, um, Ayan is going to talk about, uh, from a psychological point of view, all the way to psychopathological point of view, 
on why we engage into the behavior that we have engaged into as of today. La première chose, euh, je suis totalement d'accord avec l'analyse du professeur Desmet que vous avez interrogé. Nous sommes dans un, une dérive totalitaire. La raison pour laquelle nous sommes dans une dérive totalitaire, c'est que le totalitarisme vise la domination totale sur la vie des individus. Notamment euh, jusqu'à la vie intime des individus, la domination totale sur la vie intime des individus. This includes the personal and private life of individuals. Pour faire court, le totalitarisme fonctionne à l'idéologie, c'est-à-dire à la création d'un récit, d'une croyance fausse qui se substitue à la réalité et auquel on est prié d'adhérer. Le totalitarisme relies on um, a, a belief uh, where individuals have to adhere to. In essence, we're substituting reality um, uh, with this belief. It's a false scenario. A false scenario. Si, une idéologie. L'idéologie, c'est ni plus ni moins qu'un délire. Ideology is just nothing else than a delirium. Parce que le récit ne correspond pas à la réalité de l'expérience. Because the narrative doesn't correspond to the reality of the experience. Un délire en psychopathologie, c'est la création d'une nouvelle réalité dans un récit pour remplacer la réalité existante. A delirium from a psychopathological point of view is the creation of a, another reality to replace the original sort of reality. Et nous sommes donc dans un délire collectif. And here we are in a collective delirium. Ce, le, pour comprendre comment ça fonctionne, il faut relier donc le régime totalitaire s'appuie sur des maladies mentales. Ce sont des maladies mentales qui font le régime totalitaire. In order to understand how uh, it works, uh, the totalitarian regime um, relies on mental illnesses or disorder. Les pathologies mentales qui prennent le pouvoir dans un régime totalitaire, ce sont la psychose paranoïaque sur laquelle je vais revenir, la perversion et la psychopathie. Okay, there are three um, uh, pathologies that, that allow us to take control in a totalitarian regime. Um, the first one is paranoia, the second one is psychopathology, perversion, perversion and the third one, Ayane, is psychopathie. psychopathie. La paranoïa est sans doute ce qui va nous intéresser le plus 
parce que la paranoïa fonctionne au délire de persécution. Paranoïa is what will interest the most because this is how it engages with the conduct of persecution. Il s'agit de désigner un ennemi dans la paranoïa euh, qui peut être extérieur ou intérieur. Donc, par exemple, euh, ici, dans le cas qui nous occupe, l'ennemi au départ, c'est un virus, ce qui est en soi fou puisque nous sommes constitués de virus. Donc, so ça veut dire. Designate an enemy. You know, in paranoia, we have to designate an enemy in this particular, um, in, in order to. Uh, identify this enemy. In this particular case, what is crazy is that um, the enemy is a virus um, and it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite perfect because we're all formed of viruses. Et il va s'agir dans la paranoïa de harceler en justifiant le harcèlement pour éliminer l'ennemi désigné par la persécution. It's about harassment. It's harassment and to designate the enemy. That's all right. They yes, they use harassment to designate designate the enemy. What you say? Je je vais redire. Dans le délire de persécution de la paranoïa, mm -hmm. il y a un ennemi désigné qui peut être une personne ou ici au départ un virus, mais maintenant ça glisse, ça, ça évolue, du virus on passe aux non-vaccinés. Et cet ennemi s'est euh, justifié dans le délire paranoïaque de le, de le harceler parce qu'il est censé persécuter. Je ne sais pas si c'est… Ok, je vais essayer de traduire cet élément, parce que ce n'est pas très facile quand vous n'êtes pas spécialiste dans ce particulier field. What, um, what we're saying is here, um, you know, uh, we have to identify this enemy. This enemy can be a virus or a person. In this particular instance, we've identified that uh, it is a virus. And what we're then engaging into is um, the use of hassling in order to, uh, to push this enemy down people's throats, I would say, to really um, uh, drive it home. And, and that is what uh, drives the paranoia. Pour faire rentrer tout le monde dans le délire, il faut convaincre. La paranoïa, nous l'appelons en psychiatrie une folie résonante. Elle a l'apparence de la raison, mais c'est fou. Okay, to, to, um, in this particular instance, we, we have to convince, uh, uh, to drive this paranoia towards everybody and have the collective delirium. You have to convince individual of this, um, of this element. And, um, and you have to convince them through, uh, uh, I would say, some form of reasoning. And um, it's use, leveraging this, reason, this reasoning that you will drive this towards uh, uh, the global or the global delirium. Mais il y a deux problèmes. Uh, tout d'abord, c'est un délire d'interprétation, c'est-à-dire que c'est un raisonnement qui se fondent sur des interprétations. Le deuxième problème, c'est qu'il ne suit pas les règles de la logique. Et le troisième problème, c'est qu'il n'est pas en rapport avec la réalité de l'expérience. OK, et ici, il y a trois problèmes. Le premier, c'est que c'est un 
district relies the delia, the, this is a delirium of interpretation the yes. first first there is no logic there's no logic yes and the third one is um, ne correspond pas à la réalité de l'expérience doesn't correspond to the reality, the reality. of the experience pour s'instaurer et survivre le régime totalitaire a besoin d'un ennemi identifié qui légitime son existence. In order to exist, the totalitarian, the totalitarian regime uh, needs to have a, an enemy in order to exist. Et parce que ce régime n'est pas légitime, la présence de cet ennemi justifie la mise en place de mesures d'exception, de confiscation des droits, et cela passe par le harcèlement. And because this enemy is not legitimate or, uh, or is, is not properly… Régime, uh, régime the, the regimen is not legitimate then, and, and this enemy is not… Then what you have to do is you have to use other measures in order to influence the individuals uh, down, that, that, down that belief. And confiscate the rights. Yeah, and confiscation the rights. Et justifier de rester au pouvoir. To justify to, to keep the power. Yes. Voilà. Comment fonctionne le harcèlement? Donc le harcèlement, c'est la méthode du régime totalitaire. Harassment is the method to, to, of the totalitarian regime. Qu'est-ce que le harcèlement? C'est le fait d'exercer des pressions sur des individus pour entretenir un état de terreur. Totalitarian regime is that, um, uh, needs to keep pressure on individuals uh, to uh, obtain a terrorism uh, situation. Yes. Le harcèlement va utiliser la manipulation à la terreur et à l'empathie. Um, harassment will use manipulation of terrorism and uh, perhaps lack of empathy. Une absence d'empathie. Non, l'empathie. Par exemple, euh, ben, si euh, tu ne mets pas ton masque, tu vas tuer ta grand-mère. C'est l'empathie. Terreur et empathie. Ou fear, fear, fear and empathy. Terrorism and, and empathy for others. Peut-être que fear, le collectif fear and empathy. Deux émotions manipulées. Ah, ok. La, la peur. Both, both emotions are manipulated at the same time. There's terrorism and empathy uh, that used. Le but du harcèlement, c'est d'obtenir quelque chose des individus qu'ils n'auraient pas donné s'ils n'avaient pas été harcelés. The, the goal is to obtain something from the individuals that they will not give if there is no such um, um, terrorism and empathy. Pour 
faire un harcèlement efficace, il faut utiliser des traumatismes répétés sur la durée. So for an, an effective uh, harassment, you need to have, you need to uh, drive um, repeated trauma. Un traumatisme, c'est une menace à l'intégrité de la personne, une menace de mort. A trauma is a is a um, threat. threat to the integrity of an individual. Et une menace de mort. Et c'est le message, c'est le message qui a été passé en 2020 aux populations, c'est nous allons tous mourir. The message is say Xavier. Okay, so what what um, what uh, Aaron is saying is that uh, uh, the the trauma um, uh, is um, is something that uh, is is dangerous for us, and this is what has actually been used since 2020 when uh, the the message was a, a death message where we're all going to die, or we have a, we have a risk of dying from this virus. Le harcèlement utilise aussi. La, le sentiment de culpabilité et la séduction des populations. Uh, the harassment use the guilty feeling of the population et la and séduction. And seduction. And seduction. Mais aussi le chantage, l'intimidation et la menace. It also uses a blackmail intimidation and threats. Et enfin, euh, c'est un abus de pouvoir parce que c'est toujours une personne qui a du pouvoir sur les autres qui peut exercer le harcèlement. And it's an abuse of power because it's always somebody that is sitting with a power-based position that can um, conduct this harassment. Well, you need to have a power base in order to be able to engage into harassing behavior. Le, une autre chose qu'utilise qu euh, le harcèlement et qu'on a vu, c'est ce qui s'appelle un conflit de loyauté. Another Après, element that we've seen in the harassment behavior is the conflict of loyalty. C'est-à-dire, on oblige les personnes à choisir entre c'est un choix impossible entre deux choses entre lesquelles il est impossible de choisir. Par exemple, entre… Okay, what we're doing is we're, we're pushing somebody to choose between two impossible choices. For example… Par exemple, entre euh, sa santé et son travail. Um, for example, where you have to choose between your health and your work. You have to make a trade-off between one of the two. Le harcèlement est le chef-d'œuvre des psychoses paranoïaques. C'est très important. Euh, euh, et il comprend l'intention de nuire à l'autre. Okay, harassment is the, I would say, the masterpiece of, um, of uh, uh, paranoia. Um, Uh, and, and it's a, a, a cornerstone element. La nuisance à l'autre 
est considéré comme nécessaire. Then what, what this implies, it, it implies a nuisance towards somebody else. And it's a needed element in order to conduct the harassment. Au nom d'un idéal délirant, inatteignable. Par exemple, euh, l'éradication du virus. C'est impossible. Okay, and this, this, um, this, this paranoiac psychosis um, is in the name of an unattainable goal. For example, the uh, eradication of the virus. We have a zero virus goal. Um, is this achievable? And if it's not achievable, or the, we are driving the belief that it, this is achievable as part of the harassment process. Et dans la psychose paranoïaque, donc, qui est euh, le délire du système totalitaire, on exige du coup le sacrifice de certains citoyens. And so what we, um, in the, 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 the psychosis, the paranoiac psychosis, what we are, um, what it implies is the sacrifice of a number of individuals. C'est-à-dire que l'individu n'est plus considéré comme un être à part entière avec des droits, une dignité et une intégrité, mais comme un moyen d'acquérir un but et donc si on doit le sacrifier parce qu'on estime que c'est justifié on le sacrifie so the the we're going to try and actually uh, do it in short in essence that the um the individual um is being dismissed of some of its rights uh, dignity uh, rights to dignity and integrity um and uh, is considered as a mean to an end as opposed to an individual in order to reach a particular goal It's not a, a human being anymore. Yeah, it's a mean, means to an end. So this means that the extreme, you know, I mean, this, this complete illogical constellation and this like, you know, going to extremes, like harassing the unvaccinated and, you know, making them, um, giving them a guilt trip or like pointing to them as the, you know, the cause of, of the harm that the others or the, the, you know, the pain that the others have to live through with, um, you know, like limits of what they can do. So this is all part, this is all necessary to make it work. If it wasn't so extreme, it wouldn't, wouldn't have the same effect. Is that right? Peut-être tu compléteras, Xavier. C'est donc pour ça, en fait, qu'on se retrouve avec cette, cette pression faite sur les personnes non vaccinées. Est-ce que c'est pour suivre justement cette, ces, enfin, ce qui est tout, toutes ces choses extrêmes C'est donc pour ça, c'est dans ce but en fait, dans le délire paranoïaque, il y a des thèmes et il y en a un qui est l'hypochondrie délirante. Hypochondrie, ça veut dire qu'on se croit malade, mais on n'est pas malade. Hein. Euh... Ok. hypochondria. Okay, it means that people believe that they are sick, but they're not sick, in essence. Et Or they il faut believe that they're harmful to the system. Et il faut trouver un coupable. And you have to find a guilty body. 
de sentir, sentir cet inconfort, sentir ce malaise, l'impression de cette maladie. Et, so you, you need to, have to find a, a, a guilty body in order to feel this. So in essence, Viviane, what Ariane is saying, and this is my interpretation, um, is that in order to answer to your question uh, with respect to the unvaccinated, they are being the, the, the ones which are being pointed in, um, as the individuals who are not acting in the interest of the others in order to drive this, this, uh, this delirium. Does that mean, does that, mean that um, if the, mess, the same message, oh, there is a dangerous virus out there, if that same message were, were relayed to us in a calm way, it wouldn't work. We need harassment. It needs to be driven down our throats. We need, we need to be threatened. Only because they're doing this in a, in a harassment manner, it works. Is that correct? A calm explanation wouldn't work. Donc, la question c'est, est-ce que s'il le disait de manière calmement, c'est-à-dire sans le mécanisme de harcèlement, est-ce que ça marcherait C'est-à-dire que par exemple, s'il disait, bon, ben voilà, il y a un virus, ce virus est dangereux, avec une manière calme et pondérée, sans le mécanisme d'harcèlement, est-ce que ça marcherait Il faut transmettre l'angoisse. C'est très important de transmettre l'angoisse. So you need to, to transmit um, and, and to drive fear in a situation of anguish. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. C'est fondamental parce que, en fait, ça va, ça va abîmer les liens de confiance entre les gens. La paranoïa, c'est la méfiance de tous contre tous. Okay, what, it's, it's essential because what it does, it will drive, uh, it will reduce this the trust that everyone has in each other. And as Ariane says, paranoia is, is the defiance of everyone against everyone. It's lack of confidence, lack, lack of trust. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're in a defined mode against everything. You do not trust anything else or anybody else. And can I ask, is this something that could happen just like out of an instinct, like, you know, that the politician says, well, we have to, you know, drive the population now into this direction. So just because I feel it uh, that I have to do it like this, um, it's done like that. Or is it be because there's someone has really put a lot of thought into like, you know, kind of social engineering aspect in order to get this exact message out to come to that you know, to, to get people into that corner? Or can this happen just, you know, if I, uh, can it happen just for like coincidence that someone has, uh, you know, it's just develops like this? Or is this like, a, would you think this is like a script that's rolled out in order to come to that goal of, uh, you know, to, to put people in this state of delusion? Yeah, do we need a carefully, a carefully planned agenda behind this? Donc la question Ariane, c'est est-ce qu'il faut un plan, euh, un plan euh, euh, réfléchi euh, pour atteindre cet objectif, ou est-ce que ça peut être la conséquence d'une réaction spontanée euh, d'un individu, d'un homme politique, par exemple La, la paranoïa, c'est une conception du monde euh, qui concerne euh, les, beaucoup de passionnés et d'abuseurs de pouvoir. Et donc, c'est lié au complot. 
c'est-à-dire que ceux qui se complotent sont les paranoïaques au pouvoir. Okay, so what she's saying is that paranoia is the tool that's actually being used by individuals who are in power in order to um, uh, reduce trust or affect trust. So it, so it is, in essence, those who are in power who are most subject to paranoia because they are subject to complotism, you know, and, and conspiracy theory. So they believe that because they're in power, um, if they are not driving their agendas through, they will be victims of, and so that's why they start to develop these elements of paranoia. And it's in an idea of the world also. Yeah, conception of the world, yeah. Yes. C'est une conception du monde dans laquelle la, la, le groupe d'individus, hein, on peut dire que euh, le groupe d'individus qui va être au pouvoir avec cette conception paranoïaque, s'estimant perpétuellement persécuté, a besoin de persécuter les autres pour se maintenir au pouvoir. Donc ça suppose de l'intention de nuire et ça suppose quelque chose qui s'inscrit dans la durée. Euh, il y a une responsabilité parce que... Alors, traduisez peut-être ça. It's a it's a concession of the world that those who are in power, okay, they have to have nuisance instinct because they believe some people will try to affect them. So you need to protect yourself. They need to protect themselves and they need to drive this nuisance instinct or to use this nuisance instinct to protect themselves. Oh, that is, that is really interesting. This means, um, as far as I can understand, this seems to mean that in our social systems, those people who rise up the ranks, who go up the ranks and end up in political power in particular, that they are, I mean, if I look at some of the politicians here in Germany, obviously they're suffering from paranoia, but is it, is it true that many of them do suffer from paranoia in the sense that if they don't defend themselves, they'll lose their power and that therefore they're willing to push this agenda if only they are told you're going to lose power if you don't push this agenda. Tu compris Ariane Oui. Est-ce que est-ce que ils sont en gros est-ce qu'ils sont tous comme ça parce qu'ils estiment que si si s'ils ne vont pas dans ce sens, ils vont perdre leur pouvoir. Ma mon point de vue est que la psychose paranoïaque est donc un délire de persécution, les autres me veulent du mal, se déclenche à partir de culpabilités réelles. Et qu'à partir du moment où on accède avec des méthodes sans doute pas très correctes au pouvoir et qu'on s'y maintient, et qu'on va avoir des actes coupables, on va se sentir de plus en plus persécuté. Et donc on va de plus en plus persécuter les autres. Ok. So, un point de vue est que the, the paranoia is started from the, is derived from the fact that people believe that others will want to hurt them okay or will want them will want to affect either their power base or to affect you know the decision that they're making so um so so it drives a protection mechanism because they believe others will try to hurt them yes and also that they made probably immoral things acts and that uh, they are guilty somewhere and uh, that they uh, they know that and that they, they, they cannot um, 
um, make all, all the things that to go uh, more and more in this uh, paranoia, no? Mm -hmm. Is it correct? Protect themselves. Is, yeah. it, is it correct that one, there is an agenda, a well-planned agenda behind all of this? And two, that those who are carrying out this agenda, the politicians who are in power, um, are paranoid enough to push the agenda because if they don't push it, they're going to lose power. Est-ce que s'ils poussent pas l'agenda, ils vont perdre le pouvoir? Est-ce que est-ce qu'ils sont persuadés de ça? Ah, il, y a, il y a deux points. Le premier point, c'est est-ce qu'il y a un, un, un agenda? Un agenda, on va dire, une, un système qui est mis en place, bien planifié. Et est-ce que ce qui va engendrer ce comportement de harcèlement, ce contrat de comportement de, 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 de paranoïa, c'est parce qu'il y a une, une peur de, cette, de la perte de ce. d'une peur qu'on va leur faire du mal et du coup, ça accentue leur comportement de, de, de persécution, on va dire, quelque part. Je vais répondre déjà à la deuxième question. Une, une, une angoisse de ne pas être légitime au pouvoir par rapport aux actes déjà commis et qu'on le découvre nous les, les peuples. So the first thing is that they have a uh, anguish of uh, population discovering that they do not have they do not they are not legitimately acting in power. So they may not be acting in the interest of the population or they acting outside of the remit of their um, power base. Ensuite il y a un agenda transhumaniste. J'ai envoyé donc un, un dossier hier. Cet agenda n'est ne jamais sorti du nazisme. C'est la même conception euh, du monde. OK, so there is an agenda. It's a transhumanism uh, agenda. And for Ariane, it has never um, been taken out of, uh, the, I would say, Nazi, um, uh, Nazism, should I say? C'est-à-dire, alors, c'est compliqué. Hein? Euh, on a d'un côté, on va dire, la, la paranoïa, elle porte l'idéologie, c'est-à-dire le message, la fausse croyance, on est persécuté, euh, il y a une menace extérieure ou intérieure. Voilà, il faut rappeler, j'aimerais rappeler ici, que c'était la même conception sur l'épidémie de typhus qui a justifié la persécution des Juifs au niveau du nazisme. OK, I'm going to, on typhus. I'm writing at the same time. OK, on the one hand, what she's saying is that uh, paranoia bears, um, uh, uh, relies on ideology and on wrongful belief. And for her, it is the same belief on typhus that was actually imposed upon the Jewish Uh, in uh, Nazi Germany. Mais il n'y a pas que la paranoïa, c'est-à-dire que les paranoïa. La paranoïa, c'est l'idéologie, le délire, la stratégie, l'agenda, la planification, la persécution. Ça, c'est la paranoïa. Mais on a aussi, je l'ai dit tout à l'heure, la perversion, c'est-à-dire des profils pervers qui vont par exemple, s'enrichir, toujours tirer leur 
intérêt sur les crises. Et cela participe aussi du système totalitaire. Juste une chose, est-ce que le, les mêmes individus peuvent avoir les deux, être paranoïaques et pervers euh, il y a des traits pervers dans la paranoïa, il y a des ponts. Ok, ce que tu dis, c'est que sur hand, tu as une paranoïa qui est idéologie, planification, et sur l'autre hand, tu as perverti et perversion. Et perverti individus, par exemple, qui are seeking to enrich themselves, qui are taking advantage of any situation to um, either make money or whatever other value mechanism. And, um, and you have therefore these two avenues or these two behaviors. And uh, Virginie asked the question whether you had some bridges between the two. Can you have some uh, perverted and, and perversion and paranoia? And I am saying, yes, there are some bridges between the two. Ce qui nous intéresse, c'est qu'il y a une contagion du délire. Sinon, the delirium has become contagious. C'est-à-dire qu'on on ne peut pas dire qu'il euh, y, y a quelques profils euh, paranoïaques, il y a quelque chose de contagieux. Alors, est-ce que les paranoïaques croient à leur délire Oui, mais ils ont l'intention de nuire, pour la question de la responsabilité pénale. Hein. So, paranoïac uh, as the intent of harm, which is very important for, for lawyers, To know. Ils, croient, ils croient à leur délire, mais ah. ils justifient l'utilisation du harcèlement, du sacrifice des individus pour soi-disant lutter contre l'ennemi. Ok, paranoïa profile, what they're doing in order to fight against their enemy, or their identified enemy, um, they are um, uh, justifying the intent to arm the population or those who are under themselves um, uh, in order to achieve their goals. And, and what she's saying is that this is really important because the intention of harm is exists and that's a, that has a legal bearing. Mm -hmm. That's the foundation for, um, Ariane, if I may, the question is, est-ce que ça c'est la base, est-ce que c'est une base en psychopathologie, est-ce que c'est une base juridique qui peut être reconnue par un tribunal Alors, j'ai eu des discussions en 2010 avec des professeurs en droit pénal sur cette question. So, Raina, right just, just uh, what I ask Ian is that um, in order to characterize this, I'm asking if this psychopathology has actually been used in legal cases before. And what Ayane is saying is that in 2010, she has had discussion on that basis with a prof, a low professor. Et, et j'avais envoyé, je, je lui ai envoyé l'article euh, en français euh, de, de cette, du point de vue, en fait, de, la, de, de mon point de vue de psychologue par rapport à la question de la responsabilité pénale dans le harcèlement. And she has sent um, a part of that paper that, we, that she has sent us um, really looks at the responsibility or the penal responsibility of, the, um, of, of this um, uh, behavior from a penal point of view. Et, 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 la, et la question c'est, comment on pourrait la caractériser la responsabilité pénale d'un point de vue… Euh, l'intention de nuire, l'intention de nuire à l'intégrité. 
Okay, so the way to qualify this from a penal point of view is the intention to uh, bring nuisance to a personal integrity, to human integrity. Il a conscience de ça. So the individual is conscious, is consciously acting. Il justifie que c'est pour. Right now, your phone, your your mic is off. Que c'est pour le bien de du peuple, le bien de l'autre qui le maltraite, mais il a conscience de maltraiter et de harceler. Okay, so the individual is conscious that is conduct is engaging into um, some hassling um, mechanism um, and persecution mechanism, uh, uh, but uh, he is still doing it in order to obtain his goal. And this is, is this the kind of intent, even though it's driven by paranoia, is it still intent that is valid in a criminal sense, in a criminal law sense, or is this excused, as they say here in Germany? Est-ce que c'est l'intention qui est utilisée d'un point de vue criminel, ou est-ce que c'est utilisé comme étant une excuse, comme c'est utilisé en Allemagne, par exemple, pour excuser le comportement d'un paranoïaque. Oui, Est-ce est que ça le rend responsable ou justement exonéré de sa responsabilité C'est toute la question entre la psychologie et le droit. Euh, si on, parle, on va parler de psychose puisqu'il s'agit d'un délire, donc normalement, la responsabilité pénale devrait être exonérée. Ça, c'est vraiment l'article sur ce point précis que j'ai envoyé à, à, à M. Fulmich. Donc, si la personne, normalement, est psychotique, donc délirante, elle est exonérée de responsabilité pénale. Mais, mon point de vue, qui avait été sollicité comme experte à l'époque, c'est que sur cette psychose en particulier, il y a l'intention de nuire personnellement. Ensuite, elle va être justifiée, mais la personne sait très bien ce qu'elle fait au niveau de la nuisance sur l'autre. Simplement, elle va justifier que c'était bien normal d'atteindre son intégrité. Donc, dans cette crise en particulier, où on voit qu'il y a des liens d'intérêt, de la collusion, là, on peut estimer qu'il y a vraiment une intention de nuire consciente. Et... Mais qui est, euh, qui est euh, justifié C'est-à-dire, si euh, on entend bien, bah, ce n'est pas grave que quelques-uns meurent, c'est le sacrifice pour le bien commun. Exactement. Et donc, c'est ce que ah, vous disiez C'est qu'en plus, ça, 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 se, ça, se, ça se transmet. Euh, de, 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 au sein de la société. So, just let me translate. So, what she's saying is that uh, this is the, this is the, I would say the, the question between psychology and law. Okay. So, what she's saying is that if a patient is recognized of uh, uh, psychotic and psychosis behavior, then responsibility should be excluded. Okay, he shouldn't be uh, responsible from a penal point of view. But from Ariane's point of view, in this particular instance where we are right now, when the person knows, okay, that the intention or uh, that there is a willful intention to arm, um, then the responsibility cannot be excluded, especially when you are driving um, uh, uh, an excuse such as 
well, it's not really important if a few people are dying for the benefit of the masses. Okay, so when you are when you are sacrificing an individual for the greater goods of the collective behavior, so this is the junction between the two. But can I ask one question? Like when I look at some of the the people that we see now, like driving this this um, whole panic, pandemic, whatever you know, like here in Germany at least, I don't think that like for instance Professor Drosten is like in full delusion of i mean i just can't imagine that he's in full delusion of what's going on because he is like in a lot of cases saying wow it's the virus is not so terrible you know i mean he it's like it seems more like a like a like some kind of like concept of like when he mentions this aspect of it that this is dangerous and then another oh it's not so dangerous and it's going back and forth it's not like doesn't seem to be i mean i'm just taking him as an example you know but like i don't think that he's like in a in a full delusion wow this is like the most dangerous virus that we've ever seen and the virus is uh, the the vaccine is working and everyone has to take it and doesn't have any side effects i do have the feeling that he knows i mean i also listened to him in one of the you know like a um, investigative co committee like here in the um, you know by the the um the government of of the land of brandenburg in germany and you know i he i think he was clearly able to see that we don't have a a um you know a horrible pandemic situation but still he's kind of pulling the three the, the strings of people like by saying the right things at the right moment in order to push on with the agenda at least to get like you know be be deliver the pretext for the next lockdown and all these things so i don't personally have the feeling that he is himself in a full delirium or is this not that is that not the point that the person individually has to be like fully overwhelmed uh, by so Ryan, Nous avons affaire à un délire paranoïaque de type hypochondrie délirante qui a certainement été impulsé par des profils paranoïaques dans leur conception du monde. Mais d'abord, leur conception du monde, c'est d'être persécuté par nous, c'est-à-dire des très grands milliardaires qui, ne serait-ce que par le fait de détenir la fortune qu'ils ont, sont coupables vis-à-vis -vis de l'humanité en face qui est dans une pour une grande partie dans une très grande pauvreté. Donc, le délire paranoïaque, pour eux, c'est la persécution, c'est nous. Et c'est ce qui va arriver ensuite, c'est le fait de cibler une partie de la population, ensuite toute la population, comme étant euh, l'ennemi. Mais il y a plein d'autres profils. Il y a des personnages très cyniques, Euh, il y a des profils pervers qui tirent les ficelles à leur intérêt, qui ne croient pas du tout en l'idéologie. Ariane, je peux t'arrêter deux minutes. I, I will do the translation for Vivian. So what she's saying, what Ariane uh, is saying, is that she's taken a step back and say, okay, if you're looking at the, the billionaires club, uh, what you have is one of the starting points um, that could drive paranoia is um, or, or their 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 view of the world is that they they own such a large wealth that they can actually believe they are guilty 
of owning such wells, um, uh, 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 you know, with respect to all the others. And they just say, okay, well, I own this. And that drives some form of paranoiac behavior. And so then you have, so, so that's a, a feeling of, I own so many things and the others, you know, they are the poor other people don't own anything. And therefore it drives a guilty behavior in their own sort of um, uh, personality. But what she's saying is that there are other behaviors of persecution and other behaviors of, of perversion. Um, now, the question, Ariane, Ariane la, la question qu'avait Viviane, c'était dans le cas oui, de Dross de Drosden, c'est l'individu. Il y a d'autres personnages qui sont très cyniques et qui, euh, et qui sont là pour euh, leur propre intérêt, euh, leur carrière politique, etc., et qui ne croient pas du tout en l'idéologie. OK. So, in the case of Drosden, in in in, there are other profiles of uh, individuals who are either perverts or cynical, and they don't believe in ideology. So they don't engage in ideology. Um, Peut-être une question, Ariane. Uh, Dresden, c'est un scientifique, d'accord? Est-ce qu'un scientifique um, qui peut-être n'est pas aussi bien reconnu par les pairs, qui a été peut-être persécuté par ses pairs, parce qu'il n'est pas reconnu, um, est-ce qu'un scientifique de cette nature peut lui-même développer des syndromes d'infériorité et du coup engagé dans, une, dans une, un règlement de compte, je pourrais dire, je ne sais pas si c'est le terme, hein, je, euh, qui, euh, qui le, en fait, le pousserait le... à instrumentaliser sa science. Le totalitarisme, c'est euh, le règne de la corruption et le règne des médiocres, hein. quand même le dire. Ce qu'elle est en train de dire, totalitarisme est la souveraineté des médiocres individuels. Uh, in essence. So the, the question I ask uh, Viviane and uh, Reiner uh, to Ariane is, in the case of Dresden, he's a scientist. And, uh, uh, and the, the, is, could his perversion, his cynicism be driven by the fact that he's a failed scientist, for example, that he yes. wasn't actually recognized by his peer. Um, mm -hmm. you know, in France, we have Professor Raoult, um, who is being shot at, uh, is being dismissed Um, uh, because he's on top, he's sitting on top of the pyramid, I would say, because he's the most cited professor, um, but and he's being shut down because he's sitting too high. In the case of Drosdan, it could be that he's sitting at the bottom of the pyramid and he wants to elevate himself and he instrumentalizes science in order to do that. That's a very, very good point because we have learned through talking to some of the experts that he has good reason to believe that he has to protect himself because his reputation has been badly damaged because it turns out that he has as a professor you normally have to write a, you have to write a habilitation thesis which he hasn't done and uh, that's why two scientists took a closer look at his um, academic background and they found that there's there are very serious questions Um, as to whether or not he has actually written a doctoral dissertation. Maybe he's not even a real doctor. So in this context, this would explain why he would have um, some kind of paranoia because he's just a mediocre, maybe not even a me mediocre scientist, some kind of paranoia that would drive him to do the things he's doing, meaning to follow the orders of those who are pulling his strings because he's protecting himself. Tu as compris, Ariane, ce qu'il a dit, Rainer En fait, 
le délire paranoïaque est contagieux. Et donc, ce qui va se passer, c'est qu'il y a énormément de profils psychiques qui vont régresser et qui vont pouvoir de, devenir pervers, par exemple. C'est-à-dire qu'en temps normal, ils n'auraient jamais fait ce qu'ils font, mais en temps totalitaire, puisque c'est autorisé, et puisque et eux aussi absorbent l'angoisse, c'est un petit peu compliqué, mais en clair, il y a plein de cheffaillons, de gens qui avaient une revanche à prendre sur le système, qui vont prendre le pouvoir, euh, de, de frustration, en clair, de gens qui vont se révéler pervers, alors que dans un autre contexte, ils ne l'auraient pas été. OK. So what you're saying is that in normal times, OK, these types of profile may not reveal themselves as being either paranoiac or perverted. But in the current environment in which we are, which is the totalitarian regime that drives mediocrity, you, it, 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 you have a regression in the standards. You have a regression in the moral points. You have a regression in this individual. And that triggers, I would say, this perversion and this perverted behaviors or this paranoia behaviors. In, in, in the case of um, uh, uh, um, in normal times, this would not have happened. And, and then what it drives is it drives individuals. It's their glory time. Okay. It's the time of glory. Suddenly they're sitting in television. They can express themselves when in normal times they would have never expressed themselves. They can express themselves on topics that they do not comment. Um, and these topics suddenly they would be recognized as experts or they would be brought to light. Okay, so it's the attraction of the light. That makes I, so much sense. That makes okay. so much uh, sense. Ariane, j'ai étendu en disant que le chef Fayon, j'ai dit qu'ils allaient à la télévision et que ça les amenait, c'était l'heure de gloire, on va appeler ça. Le totalitarisme persécute les vrais experts, il n'en veut pas. Il ne veut pas des gens qui ont un discours de vérité. In totalitarian times, Um, what it does is it persecutes the real experts because they don't want real experts because the real experts are bringing truth. And what's the what's the deal with the people who are now questioning the whole situation? Why? How come they have not fallen into the delusion? And you know what? Because that's the, the that was the second. Why do some people not join regardless of educational status? And we've seen that that you know it does not depend on if you're a professor or like a lawyer or whatever uh, to be able to see what's going on. And at the same time, so what's the yeah? What's the what's the the common um, uh, demeanor of these people. Okay. Why do they not fall for this thing? Là, on rentre dans la deuxième question qu'ils avaient, c'était comment se fait-il qu'il y a des individus qui ne sont pas rentrés dans ce délire, euh, dans, dans soit, on va dire, l'instrumentalisation de la persécution ou de la paranoïa, euh, euh, parce que ce qu'ils ont observé, que indifféremment des niveaux culturels ou d'éducation ou d'environnement, il y avait des gens qui n'avaient pas participé, qui n'étaient pas rentrés. On pourrait dire qu'autour de cette pièce, on n'est pas rentré dans ce délire. Pourquoi Qu'est-ce qui ferait qu'on ne rentre pas là-dedans Alors, j'ai plusieurs hypothèses. Il y a plusieurs hypothèses. La première, c'est que ce sont des profils autonomes qui sont capables d'être isolés des groupes. 
The first one is that these are autonomous people that are able to be isolated from a group. Ça suppose, dans son développement psychologique, d'avoir intériorisé une certaine autonomie, c'est-à-dire la capacité à respecter les lois, même si à l'extérieur, ça ne fonctionne plus. Même si à l'extérieur, tout est transgression, ce qui est le cas du totalitarisme, il y a une autonomie interne qui a été acquise dans le développement psychologique de la personne. OK, so what you're saying is that Um, uh, the individuals that do not engage into such, um, uh, um, I would say, delirium have a certain amount of autonomy. That means that when everything break back, breaks down, that all of the rules that are, and that there is, I would say, turmoil in the way the rules are being implemented, these individuals still have um, a belief in those rules and they are, they are capable of applying those rules despite the fact that the rest of the population isn't applying those rules. Okay, they are exercising an independent judgment and an autonomous judgment regardless of whether the majority is in, in engaging into a transgression of the rules. Mm -hmm. um, in this first hypothesis, these are individuals who have réellement intégrer les interdits fondamentaux de civilisation, notamment l'interdit du meurtre. Okay, so what you're saying is that these individuals have totally, um, um, totally understood and integrated the um, uh, murder decisions, you know, the, uh, the, the relation towards murder. L'interdit, la prohibition. Yeah, the murder decision. The prohibition of murder. Mm -hmm. So they have an inner compass, so to speak. Um, they, they, they know their direction because they, regardless of what the group says, they can still distinguish good and evil. Right? Il dit que là, les gens ont une boussole interne qui leur permet de déterminer le bien du mal, euh, euh, peu importe ce que disent les autres. Oui, je vais y venir parce que ça a un rapport avec la vérité. Le deuxième point, enfin, j'ai relevé cinq points pour les personnes qui ne rentrent pas, ne sont pas rentrées dans le délire. Donc le premier, capacité d'isolement, autonomie. Je vais juste à chaque fois dire ce que c'est l'inverse pour le totalitarisme. Alors peut-être, Xavier, tu peux dire il y a cinq points. Le premier, c'est l'autonomie. There are five points. The first one is autonomy and the ability of each individual to isolate themselves from the mass. Mm -hmm. In a positive sense, isolation, in, they are not being isolated. They are isolating themselves. Huh? Yes, they can disconnect. They can disconnect, yes. Le, à chaque fois, je vais dire l'inverse que propose le totalitarisme. Le totalitarisme, sa proposition, c'est l'individu n'est rien, Restons tous collés, le corps collectif est tout. Okay, what, now, what she's now saying is that she's going to say the, the, the opposite of what the totalitarianism um, narrative gives. Here, what she's saying is that in a totalitarian regime, um, individual is nobody, is nothing, it's only the collective that actually um, counts. Mm -hmm. Okay, ça, c'est le premier point. Deuxième point. Ce sont des profils qui ont intériorisé, accepté dans leur développement psychique 
notre finitude. C'est quoi notre finitude Je ne suis pas tout, ni sur un plan spatial, ni temporel. Je n'ai pas tous les droits et je vais mourir. Okay, so what she's saying is that the, it's, it's quite complicated, um, but I'm going to try and actually use to find the right words. The pro profile of individuals that have interiorized in, in, within themselves that um, um, uh, what is in the end, okay? It means that I am a finite person. I am not everything. I'm not the bearer of truth. I will die one day. So they have a certain relationship towards um, some constructs, uh, uh, probably which are more brought down to towards um, towards the earth. I would say they are living down to earth. Ils sont des gens qui sont plus terriens peut-être, Ariane ou quoi? Ou, um... They're connected non. to reality. Ça c'est un autre point. Okay, Ça vraiment le point numéro deux. Il est très important. C'est euh, Psychologiquement, euh, la vie, euh, c'est une perte. C'est-à-dire, nous sommes en train d'avancer dans le temps, donc nous allons, à un moment donné, ça nous rapproche de notre mort. Nous ne pouvons pas tout avoir, nous ne pouvons pas avoir tous les pouvoirs. Euh, C'est-à-dire, nous sommes des êtres limités. limités. Maybe I will explain it as a mathematician. It's going to be easier. In mathematics, you have functions which are finite functions. It basically means life starts and you have a life expectancy of 88 years. You have the resources of the world which are, which are, um, which are finite. And here, the profile is that um, a life is a loss um, and, um, and they have integrated that we're living into a finite world. Mm -hmm. Donc, par exemple, euh, deux, dans ce deuxième point, nous avons conscience du temps qui passe et nous avons conscience que nous n'occupons pas tout l'espace. Parce que je vais dire ce que c'est. Ok, nous sommes conscients de temps qui passe et que nous ne l'occupons pas tout l'espace. Nous sommes conscients de notre limite. Pour le totalitarisme, pour le, totalitarisme le temps n'existe pas. Il fonctionne de façon circulaire et immobile. Et le totalitarisme vise l'expansion spatiale. Mm -hmm. so for for um, totalitarism, time doesn't actually exist. It circulates. It goes around in circle. And totalitarianism uh, exercises itself across the entire space. It's the total mm -hmm. control. The yeah, maybe maybe it's also you know sorry. Um, maybe it's also that I that you know when you decide for the second point that it's also that you can see the the limit of what you are allowed to do you know by the right of the other people you know basically like our basic law you know like you can only you know live your right to whatever freedom or whatever while not not uh, interfering like killing someone else to have fun or something like that you know so that's the I mean, not to have fun, but like you are doing something and that's going to kill someone else and you don't care, you know. Donc, so est-ce que ça veut dire que les limites, Ariane, est-ce que ça veut dire que les limites que quelqu'un connaît ses limites, là, là où finissent ses limites et commencent celles de quelqu'un d'autre, ou est-ce qu'on pourrait dire que c'est une forme de, de compréhension de la relativité vis-à-vis de, -vis de, tout, de tout le système, de sa propre relativité tout, tout à fait, 
to sa propre finitude, oui, oui. Okay. Oui, oui. So, so it's um, using Einstein's term, then, you know, the theory of relativity, that somebody will understand relativity towards others, where, you know, its end starts where somebody else's beginning is. Uh, mm -hmm. So there is a relation to others that's well understood. So, so people, does, does it mean that people who resort to totalitarianism, um, that these people, because of the fact that they're afraid that someday someone is going to discover that they're only mediocre at best, they resort to fantasies of omnipotency and want to uh, live forever. Is that, uh, is this is very, very uh, a simplified uh, question I'm asking here, but is, is that the reason why these people are looking to totalitarianism to escape from, or to, to keep others from finding out that these guys are only mediocre. So they have to flee to grandiose dreams and believe in uh, life forever and uh, there's no time limits for them. Oui. Il y a absolument dans le, on, on, dans le transhumanisme, il y a le délire d'immortalité. Mm -hmm. So what she's mm -hmm. saying in transhumanism, there's the delirium of immortality. Yeah, yeah that explains everything, yes. Um, le, je dirai après, je vais lister les points et après je reviendrai sur le, voilà. Troisième point, une capacité à clarifier les places et avoir un ancrage de vérité. Ok, what the third point is the capacity to clarify the various places. Et and... à chercher la vérité. Ok, to clarify the places that individuals have between space and temporality and also in relation towards reality, towards truth. La vérité, la... L'ancrage de vérité, c'est la capacité de faire la distinction entre la vérité et le mensonge, ça va avec la capacité morale. De point de vue psychologique, ça va ensemble. Capacité à distinguer le bien, le mal, parce qu'il ne peut pas y avoir de justice si on n'a pas, on recherche pas la vérité. So, the ability of an individual to establish his truth from lies, okay, goes alongside with his moral capacity or his ability to, um, to apply the principle of moral. Mm -hmm. Et à l'inverse, le totalitarisme, c'est le règne du mensonge, de l'arbitraire et de l'injustice. And, tot and you know, on the opposite, totalitarianism is the is the is the reign of um, lies. Um, rien redit parce que maintenant ah, arbitraire, injustice, arbitrary and, and um, absence of justice, injustice. Quatrième mm -hmm. mm -hmm. point. point. La, la capacité pour la personne euh, psychique de surmonter les traumatismes, ça, ça peut venir de l'expérience passée. Okay, this is the, the first point is the ability of any, any individual to overcome um, a trauma that, that you may have had from your child or from the past. Mm -hmm. Et euh, une capacité en même temps de prendre de la distance par rapport aux discours qui sont mis sur le trauma. 
and the ability to take a distance from any narrative that are being given on trauma. Parce que le totalitarisme, il traumatise, mais il dit, c'était pas grave, c'est rien, c'est pour votre bien. Okay, so because in totalitarianism, the narrative is saying uh, this is not really important. We've taken these measures for your good, and um, and therefore uh, this is not really important. So in essence, it's not important that a few people dies, uh, um, you know, a few individuals dies because we're acting in the interest of the of the masses. And here, um, the, this four point is the ability of an individual to distance himself from this narrative and to see the wood from the trees. Mm -hmm. Et le cinquième point, c'est l'ancrage avec la réalité. So the fifth point is they anchor with reality. Mm -hmm. que moins les personnes auront fait des études, plus elles seront en lien avec la réalité de l'expérience, c'est-à-dire moins elles seront dans le, dans le discours et plus dans l'expérience, moins elles sont manipulables. Okay, and here it's the opposite to the level of education. Uh, the lower the education level, the more anchored they are in reality, or the more they are capable of staying anchored into reality, mm -hmm. the more they have, um, I would say, uh, educated themselves, the more they are capable of distancing from reality. Very good. Very good. Voilà, en clair, l'exemple que je prends, si on vous raconte et on vous fait une grande, un grand doctorat sur le fait qu'il faut absolument, c'est bien d'arroser une plante avec de l'essence, quelqu'un qui est juste dans la réalité de l'expérience sait que ça n'est pas bien. Il ne sait pas l'expliquer, mais c'est juste que ça n'est pas bien. Et c'est ce qu'on appelle en psychologie le principe de réalité. Okay, the example that she's saying um, is if you, the principle of reality is that if you tell someone to take a green plant, okay, um, and to uh, pour uh, um, diesel over it or gas or gasoline over it, uh, and suddenly they, they imply that pouring diesel over it is going to help it grow, and it's to distance your, itself from this, in fact, false narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good example, actually. So what we have here, what we have here is those people who do not fall victim to this false narrative, to this type of paranoia. They're the ones who are anchored in reality, who can tell the lies from the truth, and who have a uh, a, a built-in sense as to what is good and what is evil. That's really what it boils down to. I, it, of course, it's more complicated in these five uh, aspects that you just mentioned, but I think that's really what it boils down to. You have to be anchored in reality. You have to be able to understand your limitations. We're all going to die someday. And you have to be able to tell good from bad. Um, I think that's really what it is. And if you do not have these Uh, capacities, then it's easier for you to fall victim to these <laughs> paranoid stories that they're trying to tell us. And uh, Rainer, I would add one thing that Arian added is that the higher the education level, yeah, the more distance you are, or and it requires probably a higher moral stance. 
Mmh. C'est une interprétation. Ça veut dire le plus, le, pour qu'un individu garde les, la, la notion de la réalité, euh, quelqu'un qui a fait de très, très hautes études, ça demande une morale euh, qui est sûrement euh, au-delà des limites, non Oui, une morale, une expérience de vie, euh, un rapport à la vérité. Est-ce que les gens qui ont, fait, qui ont eu des expériences proches de la mort, on prend quelqu'un de très éduqué, qui a eu une expérience et un très grave accident, est-ce que ça, ça peut être un facteur euh, ou est-ce que l'absence d'expérience de la mort, euh, puisqu'on n'a pas eu de guerre depuis très longtemps, donc on ne sait plus ce que c'est que d'être dans un conflit, on ne sait plus ce que c'est qu'avoir la, la, la vraie peur de la mort. Aujourd'hui, on, on nous a donné la perception de la peur de la mort au travers de ce virus, puisqu'en fait, ce virus n'est pas très létal. Est-ce que, est, est que si quelqu'un a une expérience, ce qu'on appelle les near-death experience, tu vois, les expériences proches de la mort, ça peut affecter quelqu'un de, de, de très éduqué, plus que… Tout dépend comment la personne l'a traversé. Euh, je pense que c'est une relation de… Euh, euh, par exemple, il est certain que des, des gens qui ont déjà vécu des situations de type totalitaire dans des entreprises, dans leur famille, qui en sont sortis et qui ont traversé plein de traumatismes par rapport à ça, sont beaucoup plus immunisés aujourd'hui à ce qui se passe que les autres. Enfin, moi, je vois chez mes parents. So what she's saying is that the question I ask is uh, somebody that has suffered a near-death experience, you know, and very highly educated, because we've been into a very calm period of our lives, 70 years without conflict. In essence, we do not know exactly what, uh, what death is anymore. So suddenly our relationship to, to death has been um, affected by this virus. Um, and what she's saying is that those individuals that have experienced totalitarianism, be it in an organization, be it in their household, that, you know, uh, per, uh, narcissistic perversion or people who have had to, to exclude themselves from this totalitarian regime um, and that have come out, uh, uh, I would say, uh, in a, um, uh, uh, without being affected by this, are probably stronger than, um, than um, somebody that hasn't. Absolutely. Comme, comme la magnifique Vera Charab. Moi, j'adore. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very, very interesting. And a lot of uh, uh, food for thought. Yeah. This was, this was great. This is, um, I think this is an extension of what Professor Desmet, whom you know, has told us. It fits right in. It's perfect. It gives us an even bigger picture, an even clearer picture of what is behind all of this. I'm very grateful for you, uh, for you taking this time, and, and you too, of course, uh, um, uh, uh, for uh, translating. Thank you very much, Virginie, and thank you very much, uh, Xavier. Uh, Raina, I think Ariane wanted to add a few things. Yeah. Of course, go ahead, go ahead. Quelle est la promesse? Il faut comprendre pourquoi ça fonctionne, le total. Parce que euh, 
ne peut pas dire ce que des fous ou des, ou des, ou des, des criminels. Ça fonctionne sur la population parce que dans le totalitarisme, il y a une promesse qui est faite, qui ne sera pas tenue. Hein, mais... OK. What she's saying is that, um, which is the last part of uh, this, the, 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 the speech, is that for tel, um, uh, what makes totalitarism work? And the, the starting point is that it's because there is a promises, OK? A promises that won't be fulfilled, of course. So what is Et the promise? La promesse, c'est aux populations c'est la prise en charge totale de la souffrance de leur existence et le retour à un paradis perdu. OK, and what she's saying is that this is, the promise is, is that the, the government will take over the total, I would say, a problem of their suffering, OK, and the promise that, they, that you will get your life back, in essence, that you will go back to a lost paradise. <laughs> yeah, that's a very childlike belief if anyone believes in this. Absolutely. Et donc c'est une tentation pour la majorité de régresser dans les bras de maman et de pas prendre ses responsabilités. So it's a temptation for any individual to regress and to go back to his mother's arms and not to take any responsibility for what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ariane. I'm, yeah. I'm impressed. I think we're all impressed. This is extremely helpful. We must stay in touch because we need more of such information. I think the situation will maybe very quickly change and then we need more such answers. Thank you so much. And, and Rainer, now you understand why Virginie, when she actually prepared the, 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 the proceeding, she thought that this was a cornerstone element because um, this expresses the propaganda in a very scientific manner, which yeah. uh, that any judge, you know, you say, well, you have the publication, the reality, the realism of publication of a truth. You know, is this a truth? If it's not a truth, then it's part of the narrative that in, will influence individuals. And so mm -hmm. if, if we can understand this, then it, we make it easy for any judge yeah. to actually understand. And the principle is that he then ends up by having the facts. Was mm -hmm. early treatments uh, excluded um, because it didn't work? No, it wasn't excluded because it didn't work. It was being excluded because it's driven by somebody that is sitting on top and is being attacked, is being brought down. He has is sitting on top with the highest level of proof, and the 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 one that sits at the bottom is the one that has the lowest level of proof, and so mm -hmm. it's a reversal of this mechanism. Um, mm -hmm. so for me, when I read when I read the document, I just thought, okay, it's it's pretty perfect. That's why when I left you a message, I say you need to also look at this claim because mm -hmm. if we could do this claim in Germany or in Italy, because uh, the work that Virginie has done. It's, it's, you can almost, uh, I've sent it to a Brazilian team because mm -hmm. we had had contact with the Brazilian professor, mm -hmm. which was very interesting because they initiated a similar type of claim, um, but they started from the pyramid of uh, proof from a, um, a medical point of view. And Virginie mm -hmm. started from the pyramid of proof from a legal point of view. And she, she basically ma married the two, and, and that is the starting point. And now they're taking it 
they're translating it. Since the narrative that you've had in Germany is the same, you just need to change the name of the media. You oh, just yeah. need to translate the text, um, change the name of the individuals, and you have uh, you can invoke and you can go after the responsibility of those, not that own, you know, not the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, those puppets who are responsible for the penal, who have the penal responsibility. Yeah. What will they do in turn if you have a prosecutor in front of them? They will give in and they will say, okay, well, you know, I did not know. Well, you published it. So you're guilty um, of publishing something that has influenced an individual. And at that point in time, they will actually seek the responsibility of the, do the doctors who will in turn seek the responsibility. Um, and, but by the way, this is not for public consumption okay what i'm saying right now is it, is okay. it okay yeah <laughs> that's part because however this is a live stream this is a live stream so it okay. is for public consumption so you should be <laughs> so, careful what so i will not actually go to the very end okay, okay. let's let's um let's uh, make a full stop here because uh, we have kept our next guest waiting for much too long already but again, I'm extremely get grateful to all three of you. This was very important insight into the psychological background of what this paranoia is about. Very, very important. Okay. Thank you and have a great weekend. Yeah. Thank you. Great Thank weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, now we okay. have um, Meredith uh, Miller. Are you with us? I'm here. Okay, oh, I'm perfect. sorry to keep you waiting, Meredith. No worries. It's, it's, it wasn't boring. It was fantastic. <laughs> so you are a uh, trauma coach, author and speaker. And you, as we have here the information, te you teach the mindsets, tools and actions to help others recover after relational trauma. And in fact, in, in this uh, point in time, we have a, a, a really problematic relationship between government and the people. So this is also a trauma. We are basically in a trauma post or still ongoing trauma constellation. So what is it that you would, um, you pointed out also that we are looking at some sort of abuse dynamics here. And I think, you know, I've been thinking that because everyone is always so, I mean, that there were these things, my body, my choice, you know, I mean, everyone's so aware of like, that there shouldn't be any transgressional things, you know, that you respect the limits of the other, the physical limits, especially and psychological limits. And all of a sudden, all that is gone, you know, like everyone is really just, or like at what we have here, government is like forcing you to do things you don't want and neighbors are forcing you or like pushing you to do things you don't want. And it's, it's a very strange dynamics. Yeah, I'm curious what you have to say about this. It really is. What we're looking at is, from the micro to the macro example. So in the micro example, we have the individual and their relationship. For example, an abusive relationship that an individual is in or the relationship the individual has with the government. But then as we move along the continuum to the macro, we see systems forming. We see families, workplaces, organizations, social groups, and society at large. And we see the same patterns from the individual, from the micro level to the macro. What happens in the, in the system, starting from the family all the way through society, is it takes on additional characteristics because the system is greater than the sum of all the individual parts that make it up. 
So what we can look at is, is the appearance of these same patterns of abuse. And I think one of the most important things to look at is the cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Cognitive dissonance, for example, at the individual level, let's say you have someone that you love, a sister, a friend, someone in an abusive relationship, and you sit them down and you say, look, I think you're being abused. This happened, that happened, that happened. And what you're doing is you're presenting evidence, facts, logic to this person about what you're noticing. But what happens? That person is not going to understand. They're not going to accept what you're saying. They're going to start to provide excuses, explanations, rationalizations that counter every point you're making. And if you insist on showing them the facts and the evidence, they'll start to attack you so they can dismiss what you're saying. Why? Because all of this information that you're presenting, this, these, this evidence and these facts, creates this deep mental conflict with what they truly want to believe. They want to believe this person is the love of their life, or they want to believe that their abusive parent loves them and wants the best for them. And this mental conflict is irreconcilable. So what happens is the brain and not the logical part of the brain, but the more primitive parts of the brain goes into denial. It's like a short circuit on an electrical system. This is a built-in survival mechanism into the human being. But unfortunately, this is also what keeps people stuck in abusive relationships because they stay stuck in that state of denial of defense where they can't see the truth. So there really is no waking people up to the abuse. There is no presenting them with sufficient amounts of truth and evidence and logic that will snap them out. How does the person come out of that is like a frying pan to the head lesson. It's something so shocking that it pierces their denial. And the truth becomes a visceral experience, not a logical experience, not an intellectual experience, but a visceral experience through which the person can no longer unsee what was just seen. And so we see that same dynamic, the cognitive dissonance. We see lots of individuals in the cognitive dissonance. Many people want to believe that their government wants the best for them, that the government is there to take care of them, to protect for them, to provide for them in some kind of way. And they would never do such a thing, such as that which we're observing now in the world. And we can even look at terminology. You know, it's amazing the abuse of language um, that they've done since the beginning, since 2020, when this hypnotic induction began into this trance. Words like social distancing, this phrase in itself elicits cognitive dissonance. Why? Because these two words are complete opposites. We have social, which means connection. And to the mammalian brain, because humans are mammals, social means safe. Being connected with other mammals and other humans makes us feel safe. It makes the nervous system feel safe. Distancing is the exact opposite. It's a disconnection. It's not social. It makes us feel unsafe. And then we put these two words together, social and distancing, which evoke completely opposite feelings and understandings. The brain enters into that short circuit, into denial. So it becomes very difficult to think when we're in that state. Well, unless, unless you question what's going on, right? 
Correct. And that's very difficult for someone who's in that state because mm-hmm. they'll, they'll have moments of lucidity. I think I heard Ariane talking about this earlier too, where maybe some of these leaders even have moments of lucidity or they don't entirely believe what's going on. What you see in an abuse victim is they go in and out of truth mm-hmm. and fantasy. And so they'll have moments where they can see it, but it's so overwhelming and so uncomfortable that the brain will short circuit back into the denial until they get to that point where something so shocking happens. And we may be nearing that point in the world. It may be that crisis on top of crisis on top of crisis. It seems like we're getting to that point now where they're going to start layering on top of the pandemic, more and more crises, the supply chain, the food, the the energy, like all of these things are happening at once. And so it, it may be that more people start to wake up as the crisis pierces their denial. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first heard the word uh, social distancing, I immediately thought this does not make any sense. Something is not right. Um, and because it's obvious, uh, one is the opposite of the other. It doesn't match. And then um, after we listened to, we interviewed, one of the people who we interviewed was the uh, Holocaust survivor, uh, Vera Sharaf. And she explained to us about euphemisms, euphemisms. Um, and that's what this is, basically. It tells you that distancing yourself from others is social because it's it safe. means, yeah, it's safe. The exact opposite is true. And the funny thing is that what you're saying is that many people who fall victim to this, have, just like in, a, in an abusive relationship, do not have the capacity to see that it doesn't make any sense. Right, because in that state of denial and defensiveness, Mm -hmm. the person has no access to the logical brain because the logical brain is the neocortex. It's that human Mm -hmm. aspect, the evolutionary brain. But then it comes back to the primal states of the brain, the primal parts of the brain, which are concerned with survival, Uh right? And so, so it becomes survival. And so they're listening to the propaganda, to those repeated phrases, the repeated language that's being used that tells them what's safe which is, as you said, the exact opposite of same. And, but can I ask you, like, I mean, when you're looking at these abusive situations, you made the example that you have someone where there's love involved in the beginning and then it maybe, or, you know, someone has a bad partner choice kind of that it's maybe like a codependence on like someone who's abusive, you know, kind of this kind of trauma-based partner picking. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right term, but... Um, So in this case, there was maybe like love or like friendship involved in the beginning, and then it turns kind of uh, goes, everything goes, goes uh, uh, belly up or like it's not not working in the right way. But here, I mean, would you describe like the situation that we have to our government is also some sort of love? Or is this, is this, or like, uh, you know, close feeling of closeness or like fatherly, motherly constellation? Um, or is this like even maybe this this abusal, like what we what we saw in this uh, Stockholm syndrome, is maybe even love inducing in a like sick way, you know? And maybe that's also what we're seeing now that these people are going over the top because some of them are really defending the governments that maybe they were like critical, like in the past of a lot of things, you know, corrupt and whatever. But now it's like the heroes to some extent. I mean, that's happening for some people. What, what do you think? Like, is that a 
combination of things that's now going on? Yeah, it's actually the abuse cycle. So there's two phases in the abuse cycle, what we call love bombing. And that doesn't have to be in a romantic sense. It can be someone giving you compliments, paying you for things, buying you things, sending you economic stimulus money in the mail, for example, or providing free food, or the government just telling you, we want the best for you, your health matters, you know, this is the important thing, we just want the best for you, we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's the love bombing aspect. And then the other cycle, the other phase of the abuse cycle is the devaluation. You're dirty, you're sick, you're dangerous, you're putting people at risk. So they go back and forth between the two. So, for example, another example, um, love bombing could simply be the absence of abuse, the temporary absence of abuse. So in a relationship, there's going to be moments where the abuser senses they've gone a little too far. Mm -hmm. The victim is starting to figure it out. They need to pull the, the victim back in. So in society, they push the lockdowns a little too hard. They start to notice people are suddenly starting to maybe wake up a little bit or starting to question things. So then they set people free for a while. Oh, you can travel. You can do things now. You can take off the mask. But this is temporary. And now we see the lockdowns coming back. We see the restrictions coming back. So it's going back and forth in this cycle. It's like an intermittent reinforcement, which again is part of the, the foundation of the cognitive dissonance. So it keeps people very confused. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's very interesting. And, and do you think, um, you know, I asked this question to Ariane before. So, so um, do you think that's, that's part of a plan or is this is this, you know, like a social engineering kind of um, procedure? Or do you think they just feel instinctive, oh, instinctively, wow, we've gone a little too far, let's give them this kind of thing? Or is this like, you know, structured? Because it seems to be, to me, it seems very um, orchestrated. From my perspective as well, it seems highly orchestrated. Um, I agree with Ariane, what she said about this is actually a continuation of Nazism. Uh, because after World War II, America, for example, imported hundreds of Nazi scientists in Operation Paperclip, and they put them mm -hmm. to work in psychiatry, in government organizations. In psychiatry and psychology, they ended up working on behavior modification science. This became the foundation of all the social media. So we see that social media was a key component in making this work. 10 years ago, this wouldn't have worked. They actually tried the pandemic thing in 2009 and it flopped. Um, why? The social media was just in its infancy. It was just starting. They knew the science behind the social media. Some Facebook executives even talked about this. They saw the science, they knew what they were doing and they did it anyways. So that behavior modification, the foundation of that is like provocation reaction solution. So they provoke an emotion, which fear is the most powerful emotion for this, right? So they provoke fear, then that creates an emotional reaction, and then it gets people to beg for a solution to that fear, which the government is happy to provide. It's the solution. It's everything they were driving us toward from the beginning. So this is the cycle. And so it seems that this has been decades in the making, it's been like a very slow and gradual buildup. And now we're kind of here at the vertical part of the curve mm -hmm. where it's happening exponentially fast. Mm -hmm. Is um, when you're saying that maybe the 
kind of the, the shocking experience that is necessary to wake people up could be the piling uh, of all of these um, crises on top of each other. Does that mean that people, some of the people who are still like sitting on the fence and, and not beyond, um, who, who can still be approached, does that mean that it, it gets to be too much for them so that they're going to th think, this cannot be real. Is, is that the kind of situation that you expect? I'm hopeful that more people will wake up as it intensifies. I, unfortunately, it's going to intensify. In every abusive relationship, the abuse escalates. Mm -hmm. Even when you call them out, you know, as we've seen more and more truth has come out and, and people are going, how, how is this still standing? How is it so possible? How are these people not in jail? Because they never admit to the con. They just doubled down on it and they mm -hmm. go to back to that gaslighting campaign. And so what we've seen since the beginning of 2020 is a massive gaslighting campaign. For those who aren't familiar with that term, gaslighting is a distortion of the perception of reality to the point where a person starts to think they're crazy for questioning the reality that's being promoted. So we mm -hmm. see that in the mainstream media, in the news, we see it on social media with the fact checking, the censorship, everything is meant because the whole narrative is sustained based on this gaslighting campaign. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful that maybe more people will start to wake up as the intensity and the shock of the things that are happening pierces their denial. The other problem is that we're going to see an epidemic of mental illness because there's going to be so many people that are so severely traumatized that are unable to see reality when it's revealed to them. So they're going to go into states of mental illness. Um, earlier, you were talking about the delusional psychosis. That's one of them. You know, but we've even seen so what happens is when people get into this state, they feel like there's no way out. Right. That becomes part of the learned helplessness. And so then they develop self-destructive habits. It's like a feedback loop that happens and it just gets worse and worse. And so we've seen like last year, 600 percent alcohol sales up. We've seen a great increase in drug overdoses, increase in suicides. Last year, some doctors were saying they saw a year's worth of suicide in one month. Yes. So we're, we're seeing, you know, the self-destructive and we're seeing also, you know, that's the individual. We're also seeing relationally what this is doing in relationships between people. It's driving people further apart. It's causing this great polarity. It's causing this great tension between people. And also when we as individuals are traumatized, it becomes very difficult to connect with other people to get that co-regulation that mammals need to feel safe and social because trauma is a disconnection. And that's really, I mean, the pandemic, the plague that we're in right now is disconnection. They're having us disconnected from other people, disconnected from ourselves because they're, this whole gaslighting campaign, it teaches you not to trust yourself not to trust your perception of reality, not to trust your sense of self and your God-given right to sovereignty. You know, it's, it's actually part of the cult dynamic. So that's where the system takes on additional components that the individual or that micro relationship doesn't have. The system develops a cult dynamic. Mm 
where, you know, part of the cult is that your individual identity is sacrificed. It's usually destroyed through trauma, trauma-based mind control. And as your individual identity is destroyed, it's replaced with the group identity, which also corresponds to some of the things that Ariana was talking about earlier, that there are some individuals that have the capability of stepping out of that group identity and recognizing they have the right to think for themselves. They still have the capacity to think for themselves because when you're in that group enmeshment in that identity, it's terrifying to leave, not intellectually, but at a deep primal level in the brain because we were programmed biologically for survival that we need the herd to survive. So even if the herd is marching toward the slaughterhouse, it's easier to go along because it's so difficult to think for yourself and it's terrifying to be outcasted. And that's exactly what happens to people who question the abuse, people in cults who wake up. And in the very basic structure of a cult is an abusive family. If you wake up in that abusive family to the abuse and you start to talk about the abuse, you'll be attacked, you'll be smeared, you'll be hurt, you'll be punished. The rest of the group will try to pull you back in and not allow you to have those thoughts, to have those beliefs, not allow you to individuate and separate yourself from that group. It's mm -hmm. amazing. Like, um, and uh, for when we're looking again at the abusive, the normal abusive constellation uh, between maybe two people or like also it could be like what you mentioned, like a cult, like like, like some sort of sect where people join and they want to break free from that. The only thing you say is like a like a shocking constellation. And is there anything else that, you know, motivates people to get out of that? So when I'm working with people one-on-one -on -one who are trying to get out of abusive relationships, you know, I tell them that that cognitive dissonance, it's going to dissolve in a spontaneous moment. That's the part that we can't control. That's the sudden divine intervention or whatever that is that brings the shock that pierces the person's denial. But how can a person help themselves to yeah. get there mm -hmm. is relentlessly facing the truth and mm -hmm. the problem is that this goes against our entire biological programming. We were programmed to seek social belonging before truth. We will sacrifice the truth in order to have the social belonging. So that's that group dynamic. So a person is going to have a difficult time doing that, even in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, because there's a sense of belonging in that relationship. And because the other person has told them that they'll never find anyone else to love them, they'll never find anyone else to accept them. This is as best as it's going to get. Don't you dare leave. So the person is terrified to leave this dynamic. And could it be if you offer like a different peer group? You know, say like, for instance, it's the grass is greener over here, come to the other side and get out of that abusive thing and have fun with us. Is that um, sort of inspirational uh, from your experience in situations that are not going well? Usually a person will reject that. They will find any way to reject, to attack anything that's conf confronting what they, their fantasy, what they want to believe about the world. And so that's why the victim needs to face over and over again the truth. We have victims write what's called a sobriety list. 
you know, write down everything that person did from the very beginning of that relationship that was hurtful, manipulative, abusive. Why? Because as soon as their mind goes back into the denial or they want to indulge in the fantasy, which they're highly invested in, they pull out the list and they start reading these bullet points of everything that happened. And maybe at some point something jars their mind and they come back into lucidity. So they have to face the truth over and over again. But the thing is that this can't come from outside. Anything that we say, all the evidence, all the truth we can present, it has to come from inside. There has to be the internal drive. The person has to want to know the truth. And the difficulty is that doesn't usually happen until that point where it's been pierced spontaneously by some event that's taken place that's forced the person to see something different. What is the ultimate goal of all of this? We have spoken, for example, to uh, former members of the British intelligence uh, services, and they all agree, everyone who we spoke with, that this is an agenda, and it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's mainly driven by... Um, this is a huge psych, psych, psyop, psychological operation. Um, that's why it took such enormous training and planning. It, this didn't happen overnight. This is nothing that happened spontaneously, but rather this has been planned for probably at least a decade, maybe longer. But what is the ultimate goal of what they're doing? It is probably totalitarianism. Um, and that is a result of some people who are high up in power or have a lot of money um, being afraid that we're, we're going to find out about them. Is, is that really the goal, totalitarianism, so that those who are in power and who have more money than they should have, because, and now they, they feel guilty about it, is it really that this is because they're afraid to be found out and that that's why they need to get complete control over us, which is totally impossible? Is that so? From my perspective, I agree with that. I think the ultimate goal is the control. Uh, if you look mm -hmm. at a psychopath in a relationship, any abuser in a relationship, what is their goal? It's control. Mm -hmm. It may be extracting other resources. Certainly money has something to do with it, but it's beyond money. What does the money give them? It gives them power yep. and control. And so if we look at this, everything that's going on is about control. And as long mm -hmm. as they can maintain that control under any cost, no matter how many people they have to get rid of, because it's certainly a lot easier to control a smaller group of people than it is a larger group of people. <coughs> mm. But it, it does seem to be control. That, that's the ultimate goal. That's why all of the abuse dynamics work. That's why as soon as they sense they're losing control of people, they're going to mm. come back mm. and start giving us some, something you know, to seduce us back into the dynamic. So, and, the, and the way out... I, this is what I wrote down. The way out is relentless confrontation with what's with reality, what's what's really going on, with the true facts. The way out of the cognitive dissonance, yes. the way out of the bigger picture, I think, is self-responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think as each individual takes personal responsibility of their life and of their choices and of resolving our own traumas, because we, we've all been born into this world that is founded on trauma, you know, from tr transgenerational trauma in families to larger historical traumas, even birth can be traumatic. 
we have to look within and recognize what are the, the traumas that we still have left unresolved within us, work on healing those, work on taking greater responsibility of our life, because that self-responsibility is the threshold between the victim stage, which is based on powerlessness, which is where the mm -hmm. great majority of people are at right now, and to the stage of being a survivor and being empowered. That's the hardest threshold to cross. What I see in abuse is that the majority of people stay stuck in that victim stage. They don't take the self-responsibility to get over that threshold into the mm -hmm. empowerment. So I see the same pattern in the world. I see most people staying in that victimization, unable to take self-responsibility, hoping that the government will save them. We have to save ourselves. We have to take responsibility for our part. And I think that's the amazing thing because we individuals form the collective, right? So as we individuals work to heal ourselves, as more of us work to heal and take responsibility for ourselves and what we're producing and contributing to the world around us, even if that's just a, our family, our very small social circle locally, that spreads, that becomes something that ends up healing the world. I think another thing that's a mistake is to focus on changing the world because the change starts inside, right? Mm -hmm. That's the only thing we have control over, the learned helplessness, complete loss of control. So people give up, they go into states of despair, makes them easy to control. So what can we take control over? Not everything that's out there, but what's inside here. And, um, but like, you know, uh, Professor Desmet the, from Belgium, the um, um, psychologist, the, the psychologist and psychoanalyst, uh, you know, he said that, you know, the totalitarianism, just what you mentioned about, like the abusive situation has a tendency of, of growing wilder and wilder as it as time passes. So why is that? Is it because the, um, you know, they they feel that it's becoming like the the illogical or like the you know the the abusive part is becoming more obvious to the victim and that's why they they think they want to you know push it a little bit further so um in order to to get back on power is it like a self um, i don't know some self-propelling kind of scheme why do you think that it might be i think it's that the controller the abuser the psychopath is is seeking the thrill It's like a heroin addict. They need more and more and more to get the same feeling. So in an abusive relationship, the abuser is chasing the dragon, looking to get more and more of that thrill, which means they need to go more and more beyond. They need to constantly increment the abuse that's taking place. And do you know what? Do you think that's the same here now? I think it is. It's like an addiction. Mm -hmm. It's a very yeah. sick addiction that they, they can't control. So it's not it's not about like um, I I don't know just like keeping keeping the the game um, on because the uh, you know they're afraid of that they might be um, if it all goes down that they might be jailed or something but it's also the kick at the same time that it's kind yes. of I mean not sort of on a sick way it's kind of fun to see people like being more and more put down and you know abused and. Yeah, it's both of that. It's the perversion of needing more of that control, more thrill to get the same reward, the same feeling, the same dopamine hit that they got from it. And also, as was mentioned before, you know, the, the fear of being found out, the uh, imposters, 
imposter syndrome, which the covert form of abusers. What we're seeing now is the covert form of what happened in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. That was a more overt. It was more obvious. The covert is the more sophisticated version. And so the covert abuser, the more sophisticated abuser, has a deep insecurity and a deep imposter syndrome. And like Ariane was talking about earlier, the mediocrity, being terrified that they're going to be exposed for being mediocre, unqualified, not the image that they're trying to create. It's about maintaining that image. So being terrified of being found out mm -hmm. that they're actually not what they're claiming to be. Well, um, the uh, covert version of what happened overtly in the Third Reich, yeah, um, it is becoming more and more overt now, and that means that it's escalating, and that means, in my view, from what you're telling me and, and from what we've heard from all the psychologists and psychiatrists, psychiatrist that the other side too is in a panic uh not all of them maybe uh it's a, it's probably a mix if i if i get you correctly it's a mix of seeking the thrill and at the same time um being afraid oh my god this time they're going to really get me this time they're going to really find out so we're going to have to go further and further and further is that what's happening i think so And you're right, it is becoming more overt. And that's the thing that happens in an abusive relationship as well with a covert abuser because there are different types. And of course they can go back and forth in the tactics because when you're behind closed doors and no one in the outside world can see, that's when they can be more overtly abusive. But when they're in front of other observers and people, then they have to be more covert. But over time, that covert abuser does become more and more overt. Mm -hmm. Uh, we uh, we have a friend in Finland. Um, she um, well, I, I I guess I shouldn't uh, expose her identity, but she has she's very good friends with someone who works for the European Commission. And when these commissioners get together, she explained to us this is what her friend told her. Um, and they watch the news, or they they're in a meeting, and then they watch the news or watch what's going on outside of their little. Uh, European Parliamentary uh, Bureau, um, they, this is what she explained to us, they uh, actually laugh their asses off because they can't believe how stupid people are. Is that typical? Yes, and I think this is the thing, we're human, right? We've all had this thought, like how can people be so stupid? I admit I'm not above this. But this is where we need to bring in the humility to understand that this is not an intelligence thing. This is not about intelligence. This is the primal parts of the brain. The human nervous system was just programmed to respond this way to stress, to abuse, to trauma. They know this. They've known this for decades in the research that they've done with trauma-based mind control. They have done this on the public for a long time. They even use entertainment, Hollywood, you know, to carry these sorts of things out. So I think that we, we need to have compassion for people, just like we would have, imagine if that was someone that you loved and they were in an abusive relationship, to have compassion, but to also have boundaries because that person will attack you, right? If you try to show them that they're in an abusive relationship. So it's also important to have those boundaries and to connect with people who are living in reality, 
because that keeps you sane. When you're trying to escape a cult, even a family that's abusive, you need to have allies outside of that system who are living in reality, who can validate reality because everybody living in that system is living in that delusional psychosis, the very distorted reality. And what's going to happen? I mean, if it goes down, what's going to happen to all the, the perpetrators? You know, I mean, are they going to wake up and see what they've done or will, will they be in some sort of denial toward, oh, it was necessary and I did my best and, or I was always part of the resistance or I don't know what kind of <laughs> things might pop up. I imagine it will be those sorts of things. You know, if I look at from the micro level and I see, you know, when abusers are found out, what do they do? They double down, they play the victim. One of the things we call in the terminology of narcissistic abuse is DARVO. It's an acronym, denial, attack, reverse, victim and offender. What does that mean? You tell a person this is abusive, they flip it around on you. Now you're the abuser and they're the victim. And we can watch this in the, in the public dialogue. Anytime you try to talk about the truth or even just in the media, the way they smear conspiracy theorists and anybody trying to talk about the truth, they flip it around. They mm -hmm. play the victim. So I fully expect a lot of these perpetrators to play the victim because that's, that's what they do. I have the hopes that there will be some sort of Nuremberg trial again, though I hope it will be significantly better than the last one, which only brought to trial a very small amount of the perpetrators and then imported the rest of those and installed them in society in places that they could do significantly more harm over the long term. I would hope that we can learn from that. You know, we say history repeats itself. It repeats itself because we haven't learned. History repeats itself as the macro version of the repetition compulsion at the individual level. The individual goes through a trauma and then their whole life, they choose similar people and situations that remind them of how they felt in that early life trauma because they're seeking healing, but they're doing this unconsciously. They're unconsciously repeating the same traumas. That's what we're doing as society. We're repeating the same traumas. I truly hope that because the level of this trauma is so big involving the entire world at the same time, I hope that the magnitude of that is going to be comparative to the magnitude of awakening potential of the possibility for us to now finally end this legacy of trauma and tragedy and abuse and violence that we've been repeating for so many generations so that we can make different choices and create a different future with a much better potential for humanity. I do think this is a turning point. It's a make or break. We're either going to go full on down that road of totalitarianism until I don't know what the end will be of that, some sort of mass disaster It's already disastrous. I think it can get significantly worse. Or we're going to choose at some point collectively because enough individuals are making the internal choice in their own personal life a different path, making different choices. And that's the harder decision because the easy road is just, just to go, just to follow the herd and not think and not change and certainly not heal the trauma because that's very challenging and painful. It's easier just to numb it out, to find distractions and escapism 
which of course they're providing for us, right? You know, they're providing plenty of distractions for people they they have for many decades, but especially in the last decade, there's been so much more of distractions with the internet and things. And now they want to bring out the metaverse, the virtual reality, you know, so that when reality is so horrible, instead of facing that and resolving it and dealing with it and confronting it, people escape into the fantasy. Yeah, and we have to make sure that they understand that real life is much better than the fantasy version. It can um, be. Oh, uh, it can. In some cases, it's not. Yeah, uh, but um, the one of the things that Professor Desmond explained to us is that uh, totalitarianism is self-destructive. Sooner or later, it'll self-destruct. The big question then is how much damage will they be able to do to us before they self-destruct? Um, and of course, nobody knows, but it is going on right now. It's uh, it's getting crazier and crazier and it's becoming more and more overt. I have the hope that more and more people like us will uh, come to their senses sort of. Uh, and that, that group, I think that's about 40% of the people are sort of like sitting on the fence and don't know which way to go, but that that group is still approachable and that more and more of these people will begin to ask questions, uh, which will ultimately then uh, turn the tide. It's uh, some people say that it's enough if 3.5% of the population, or maybe 5% or 10%, realize what's going on. That's good enough. I'm not so sure about that, um, but it definitely is important to have those who um, who can make decisions, r rational decisions, um, on our side. Because um, it, I, I have a feeling that those who, are, who have fallen victim to this narrative are the ones who, um, as one of those psychiatrists who we spoke with explained, escape into, uh, not fantasy, but they, they, they sort of revert to, infant, it, what is it, what's the word? Infantilization. Yeah, that's what it is. They don't, they don't wanna grow up. They just want to keep listening to someone telling them what to do. So this group of people, is cannot be approached by us, but it's not really important. I, I hate to say that, but it's not really important. Those who are willing to think outside the box and who are willing to question authority, they're the ones who make work finally going in the long run are going to make the, the difference, I believe. And those are the ones who are on our side already. I hope many more will join. Yeah, there's really no convincing people. Just like there's no convincing a victim that they're in an abusive relationship. There's no convincing that group of people to see reality because they don't want to see it. That infantilization process has been happening for a long time in society. Yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of people look to the government, to the state as mommy and daddy to protect them. Right. That, that's a fantasy. That's mm -hmm. not real. And it's unfortunate, but then there are those who have the more functional adult capacity in their brain to say, no, I need to take the responsibility to rescue myself, to provide for myself, to provide for my family, because the government is not going to do that. That's not their job. So this is what it, what it boils down to, infantilization versus self-responsibility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a, I think it's a really... 
<clears throat> you know, it's it's also a rough ride for them because, uh, you know, once it, as you said, like once it becomes more obvious to, to some people, I mean, that because it's so extreme, it's, um, I mean, they're risking a lot of things, you know, they're risking everything. So it's it's for them as well. It's, it's, a, it's a game of life and death because they're well, going to yeah. be like, I mean, you know, I, I don't think that people would kill them because, I mean, obviously, I mean, we are against like uh, violence anyway, you know, but I think it's more that they'd be socially destroyed, you know, if this is, if this becomes like, if it becomes obvious to a lot of people what's been going on. Right. At what cost? I think that's something Renner had asked earlier too. Like, how far does this go? Even though the totalitarian, totalitarian system eventually will implode, just like every abusive relationship, but at what cost? You know, at what cost to the individuals? At what cost to society? At what cost to human life? Well, I mean, we have to make sure or we have to do everything that we can to end things as soon as possible because it's like, you know, it's already cost quite a bit of life and, and cost so much pain and, and all that. So I think it's really about time that it right. collapses. And because, like you said earlier at the very beginning, we're not even in the post-trauma phase yet, right? So we, we haven't even begun to see the long-term effects of what's already happened to this point. This is going, especially among the children, this is going to have severe long-term repercussions, the post-trauma of this, and it's gonna require a lot of healing. Even if this just ended suddenly now, today, no more damage, there's still significant, significant trauma to work through. Yeah, that's true. Wow, so it's a lot of work. <laughs> It is. Ahead of us, it's worth at it. any rate. It's definitely worth it. It can only get better. <laughs> That's the thing about trauma, is that trauma is both destructive and awakening. The mm -hmm. trauma destroys the sense of normality. The person never can go back to who they were before the trauma. We as a society will never go back to what we used to call normal. It's gone for good. We need to mourn that. Part of healing the trauma is a grieving process. That's gone now, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because now the awakening of the trauma allowed that and that destruction of the trauma allows us to create something better, allows us to create something new, reaching new potential that we perhaps couldn't have contacted within ourselves individually or even as a society until that trauma took place. So it comes with both a curse and a blessing. Well, I can definitely see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I agree, and I really hope that that happens soon. Yeah, me too. Huh. But you know, Again. I think what, what the good thing is about this also is that it's such a huge collective trauma. I mean, it's good and bad at the same time. But maybe if you come out of like a personal abusive relationship, you know, I mean, there's maybe also something like individual guilt feelings or like anger and all that. But now if, if it's also possible to, you know, then maybe hopefully 
um, join with others in this coll collective um, anger and frustration and pain and, and sadness, you know, that's also something, if you do this collectively, I can see also that this might propel like the healing process, just like as if you do like, um, you know, self-help groups with other traumatized people, you know, in this talking about it, like in the group together and find new ways. I think that's, that can also, you know, speed up things in a way. That's, That's what very I would true. Hope. That co-regulation is part of what helps us heal the trauma. So as we connect with other people, you know, why are things so traumatic, especially in childhood, if no one was there for you? Maybe two children went through a very similar experience. One children had a parent, a caretaker, someone who was there for them, who hugged them, who held them, who made them feel safe and connected. They're not going to have such severe post-trauma, maybe not even have post-trauma after that event. The child who was left alone, abandoned, not believed, told it was their fault, that sort of thing, that child is gonna have severe trauma. Mm -hmm. So if we connect with others, other people are there, other people see the same reality, other people feel the same emotions, we process this grief together, we connect together, this is a very healing thing that can be done. The challenge for so many people right now, I think, is so many people feel so alone. And that's the whole purpose of this, the social isolation, because the isolation is necessary for the abuse to take place. So many people see the truth, see reality, but they feel so alone because maybe no one else in their life or very few people in their life can see it. And that's part of the traumatization. So I think it's amazing the work that you all are doing to bring people together, to connect everybody, who's seeing this sort of thing so we don't feel so alone, so we do feel more connected. Yeah, we're all trying to do, play our part in this game. Um, and we're trying to take over the lead roles. You are, we are, all of the good people who are really interested in the good of, of mankind. We, uh, I, we don't pretend, we mean it. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't do this. Right. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Meredith, this was great. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you Thank for you. inviting me. Oh, thanks, thanks for being me. here. And and I again I apologize for keeping you waiting. But no I, I see that you did enjoy listening to uh Ariane. It was great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. We'll stay in touch. Okay. All right, because I know we're gonna need much more of this when this whole house of card collapses, because yeah. that's when the real work starts. And most Correct. of this has to do with psychology. Correct. Okay. Well, thank you I very much and have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Now we have uh, Plamen Paskov in the, um, in the Zoom. He's uh, from Bulgaria. And he's a um, veterinarian, a geopolitical analyst and politician. And he will be able to give us a little bit of an overview of what's going on in Bulgaria at this point in time. Um, hello, uh, can you hear us? Yes, uh, hello everybody and thank you to be invited here. Uh, sorry for my crippled English. I wasn't learning English for a single minute at the school. Uh, I, I learned uh, French and I was using French in my life, but uh, business imposed me to use uh, English. Uh, so, um, so one more time, sorry for my crippled English. No, Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, uh, well, uh, my time is uh, starting already. Or yes, uh, yeah, no? Yeah, we're talking. Okay. Now. Okay. Well, shortly about Bulgaria. Bulgaria have a good chance to be with a weak power in the government because uh, um, at this uh, Sunday we will have the third uh, election by this year because at uh, April, at Ju July, and uh, now in November. It was, it was impossible to create government. No, no one of political powers was having the majority enough to create uh, um, government. So uh, we are uh, probably we, we are in crisis of power, but this crisis of power is very good for us because uh, uh, this is the main uh, obstacle to, um, to make those laws uh, who will make uh, the situation in Bulgaria the same like in Germany, like in Italy, and like in majority of uh, other parts of the uh, European Union. Uh, I mean that um, in Bulgarian law, I'm a veterinarian, but uh, I was imposed to, <laughs> um, to be familiar with laws uh, the last uh, couple of years uh, because of the COVID uh, pandemic, you know. Uh, we have in Bulgaria uh, several laws who are absolutely against uh, those uh, recommendations who are um, coming in Bulgaria, um, let's say, by, by notices of this, um, uh, this government. So government doesn't have the law uh, as a basis, doesn't, doesn't have a legal basis uh, to do this. So uh, the government uh, make uh, so-called uh, orders or uh, notices who's supposed to be fulfilled from the uh, all taxpayers, uh, from the all citizens, but those orders are in direct conflict with uh, many of uh, Bulgarian laws. We know very well this conflict, we use very well this conflict, and we realize that we have uh, four direction, four fingers uh, there uh, are using against us. I mean, the COVID pandemic dictators. The, uh, the direction number one is uh, medical misinformation, and they are crying on constant base that we, are real doctors, are real medicines, are real, uh, let's say, biologists, uh, micro microbiologists, uh, virologists, etc., are misinformating, and only those misinformation they. Uh, they uh, impose that it is the only true about uh, this uh, pandemic is supposed to be uh, real. Everything else is the theory of conspiracy or this is a medical uh, misinformation. Okay, this is the direction number one. We use against this direction our medical information and we are uh, trying to be united. We are trying to be to coordinate our uh, efforts uh, between us uh, because we have uh, um, up front of us, uh, uh, let's say, organized, uh, organized power. It is organized crime, but it is organized. So against something organized, we need to be organized too. Otherwise, we cannot win. The direction number two uh, is um, uh, media. They use on constant base the mainstream media uh, to make people scary, to make people not uh, to, to delete and to uh, forbidden critical thinking in the people uh, and to make people believe him. Because uh, if you uh, make the people scary, the scary people believe uh, easier than the not scary people. 
And we use uh, against this direction, absolutely the same. And we are organizing the internet media. Of course, uh, YouTube is forbidden for us. Uh, of course, uh, Facebook is uh, very difficult for us. But uh, of course, one more time, a lot of other media, if it will be organized well, can uh, be uh, antidote against this media direction. The direction number three, is the legal part, uh, exactly what we are uh, talking about. So they use orders, recommendations, and notices uh, you, uh, issued uh, by, um, uh, by, go by government, but they know very well that they are not harmonized, they are not uh, corresponding to the, uh, to the legal law of Bulgaria, and uh, it is uh, not uh, harmonized even with uh, international law uh, who is harmonized and ratified uh, by Bulgarian government too. So we are using the uh, local Bulgarian law and we are using international law to attack him, uh, him uh, on constant basis. The direction number three is a political direction. They are trying to keep in Bulgarian parliament only let's uh, say believers party, uh, the liberal party, the globalistic parties, uh, the parties who are absolutely loyal to this agenda. And what we are doing, we're organizing some smalls, but very active uh, parties who are absolutely against this. And we're we are running in all those three elections this year, and we was uh, organizing the majority of uh, protests and the uh, rallies and uh, we have already, let's say, the winning tactics for this protest. Why I'm uh, talking about winning tactics? Uh, because uh, what is the protest? What is the rally? People are coming in such a masses, uh, let's say thousand or even one or two millions, and they are expressing his thinking and his feeling and uh, his attitude against something or about something. Okay, but uh, uh, when we are in position to do it, uh, let's say legally, legally by point of view of this uh, government power, they give us uh, so-called uh, uh, time for, for these uh, events, uh, they give us some place for these events, and uh, in majority of cases, it is, uh, let's say, Saturday or Sunday, it is uh, some place where uh, the same bureaucrats, politics, and uh, administra administrations uh, aren't in place. So we are coming some place. We are crying uh, what we want to do. We are yelling. We are uh, sharing, uh, let's say, the fire words between us, and that's all. And uh, no results. What we do uh, when we are uh, we, we realize that it, it it doesn't work because this is only the expression and this is the getting the power to the uh, whistle not not to the uh, power of uh, chains. Uh, we organize, let's say, not the protest but uh, um, in package of uh, protest. So, uh, pretending that it's a protest, we only unite people to the some administration point. Let's say the government, uh, the uh, governor of uh, some uh, big uh, Bulgarian uh, area, doesn't matter. It was Syria Varna in the board of uh, Black Sea. Uh, of course, this government doesn't want to see us, uh, doesn't want to, uh, uh, to talk with us, doesn't want to meet us at all, but he was in there in the building, uh, 
So we forced the police line, we forced the guard line. Yes, it was difficult. Yes, it was painful, but we was uh, uh, going into the cabinet of this governor on the distance of one hand shake distance. And he was absolutely imposed to see us, to hurt us, to take our documents and to uh, and to respond to our asks and to respond not only verbally, but making some, let's say, legal uh, asks uh, uh, because uh, we was uh, proving that we can gain him uh, because we are, uh, let's say, uh, the owner of this power. He is our uh, servant. Uh, because he is a government administration servant. Uh, his pencil is paid by our, our taxes. His desk is paid by our taxes. His paper and everything else uh, where he is working, his building is not his building, but it is our building. And we are coming to see what, why our employee is not working for us, but uh, is working <laughs> for somebody else. And when he uh, realized that uh, uh, the police uh, will not uh, protect him, efficiently i mean the guards are not uh, sufficient to protect him from us it become very soft we use the same tactic uh, in the capital city it is not uh, already the uh, let's say some regional uh, city or regional government i mean the varna is not the capital of bulgaria but sofia is the capital of bulgaria we use the same tactics to gain the access and the contact with the ministry of education uh, it was absolutely the same scenario, and the uh, police uh, wasn't enough to stop us because we uh, was not just, uh, let's say, uh, united in some place, a uh, couple of hundred or a couple of thousand uh, people. We was prepared to do exactly this, not only uh, crying or yelling uh, on, on the uh, on the place, but uh, going into to do a minister. Yes, it was possible. It, it, it was, uh, um, you know, uh, we film and uh, we um, make uh, these, uh, let's say, records uh, uh, in real time in YouTube and uh, Facebook and uh, all the groups and all the pages was prepared to make this translation. And this translation was uh, energizing people who was accepting that uh, this, is, uh, this will be the um, every second time when uh, it will not be happen anything else. No, this time it was happened. Uh, we was trying to use the same tactics uh, to gain the access uh, to the Minister of uh, Regional Development, but uh, because of geographic, uh, let's say, uh, characteristics of this place, it was very narrow place, narrow, uh, very narrow uh, uh, streets uh, in the capital city of uh, uh, Sofia, we wasn't able to concentrate and to organize enough people. And uh, because the spot was, uh, entrance spot was uh, very uh, little, it was, uh, um, let's say, uh, easy for police uh, to to fight with us. They, they was, uh, anyway, they wasn't in position to stop us. So that's why they used the gas. And they used the gas. It was very interesting. Uh, yes, uh, everybody was uh, gasificated with, uh, uh, let's say, coughing and uh, blind and etc. But uh, the policeman was uh, uh, 
fully uh, enough to make uh, this gas uh, damaging and dangerous for, for, for his colleagues too. So our <laughs> protester was helping to this uh, police who was uh, badly damaged by his own gas. Uh, and we was proving to the police that they are not our enemies. We need to go to the same uh, um, common enemy, I mean, the administrator, the minister, etc., to explain him to his language, to uh, explainable language that he's supposed to be uh, scary and fiery, not from the American embassy or from uh, uh, European Union, some kind of uh, administration, but from us, because we're the owners of this land and we're the employ uh, employers of these employees. They're supposed to understand that. Uh, and uh, um, step by step, it's not easy. It's, uh, let's say, uh, short to explain, but uh, it wasn't uh, short to do, you, you can imagine. We, we have some results. What we are doing now, now we understand that uh, in these elections, who will be uh, uh, in this uh, Sunday, I mean the November the 14th, they are very well prepared because uh, uh, to compensate uh, very low popularity, if not uh, say very high uh, let's say hate uh, from the people to the this administration administration they prepare uh, six and more uh, hundred uh, machine for voting machine who was used in the united states in november the third when biden uh, win in the election win of course uh, like this uh, the same <laughs> machines who was used in um uh, Venezuela and prepared the same Dominion system and the same machines who was used in uh, Moscow, I mean in Russia, um, in September the 19 to 21. Uh, the, the machine make this election easy, um, let's say cheap and uh, not traceable. It is impossible to check uh, what exactly was happened because if uh, we do election on, pay, uh, on the base of uh, um, hard copy of uh, paper, it is like aquarium. We can see the fish who is uh, going from one point to another point because it is transparent. But with machine, everything can become the black box. We can see what is happening in uh, the one part of black box, but what black box do to make some results in the other side, we cannot see. They prepare the same machines for Bulgaria now. And we, of course, were preparing for fight. What kind of fight? The legal part of fight. We're preparing the juridical claims. And uh, I don't know, do in English, it is the right uh, uh, verb or right uh, word, but uh, I mean the uh, documents uh, who are supposed to be fulfilled from every parent in Bulgaria, not the political side, not the uh, ideological or religious. Every parent who have a children, and these children are suffering by this uh, online education or uh, suffering by uh, this online university education, who is uh, anti-education. It is not the poor education or some kind of compromised education. It is uh, anti-education. -edu so uh, we have interests who are damaged, and somebody is supposed to pay for this damage. And because uh, uh, a lot of these things are 
under the law for education in Bulgaria and under the law uh, for uh, public health in Bulgaria. And many of these articles are broken by these orders and these uh, notices uh, dictated by uh, wealth, uh, World Health Organization. We will attack not the World Health Organization. It's impossible, of course. We will not attack the European Union uh, or some, somebody else. We will attack first the Ministry of uh, Education. It is a public person who is uh, um, who, who is giving a signature under these orders, so it's supposed to be responsible. Uh, the second, the Ministry of Health from all the parents from Bulgaria. Uh, the third, all directors of universities, because they are, let's say, um, part of this organized crime. Uh, all the deans of these uh, uh, universities, because uh, the uh, education process is in his territory of, resp of responsibility. The dean are responsible for education exactly. This is the four part who's supposed to be attacked from these parents from Bulgaria and uh, all the directors of high schools. If uh, we prepare all those documents uh, from uh, several laws and we uh, will pay to these uh, lawyers uh, by donation campaign, who is already started and some kind of money are already collected, we uh, on a constant basis and at the same time are trying to use um, let's say the so-called signals to the prosecution. When you see some crime, you as a citizen supposed to make some notice and to inform the prosecution that uh, I see something wrong and this uh, wrong uh, probably can be crime. So you are a prosecutor, uh, so please uh, be nice to uh, check uh, what, uh, what is going on. Probably it's a matter of crime. And if it will be uh, not only a rain of arrows from all the I don't know, 100,000 uh, uh, parents from Bulgaria, I, I ex uh, expect that uh, at least uh, uh, several decades of thousands uh, of parents from Bulgaria will use those tools. It will take time, but all the juridical system will be, uh, I don't know, it will be drawn off probably. probably. Uh, we we are supposed to make uh, all those uh, administrator um, administrators, uh, part of this uh, government administrator system, uh, responsible personally because uh, they are making some kind of, how to say in English, I don't know, but in Bulgaria is uh, something like uh, uh, adm administrative uh, uh, crime uh, on his uh, job place. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. know what is the correct term, but probably I hope you, you understand me. And yeah. uh, uh, against this medical, disinformation, we're trying to do the very, very painful and very uh, serious campaign to organize 12 plus one laboratories uh, who are supposed to work uh, independently, but uh, under uh, common uh, standards, uh, common uh, rules and uh, common, uh, common um, let's say, uh, outside uh, uh, system to check and verification of uh, quality and uh, trueness of results. Let's say like this. Uh, sorry for my careful English one more time. Now, why uh, 12 plus one? Because uh, 12 plus one give us the rights to use such a system who is a verification that our results are real and we uh, can 
uh, accept any uh, kind of people from outside uh, who will come and uh, ask uh, us, uh, uh, give me a proof that uh, your uh, results from your labs are real. Those labs are supposed to be virology lab, uh, genetic labs, and all the uh, other kind of uh, specific and high technology uh, kind of uh, examinations uh, and uh, specifications who will allow us, number one, to understand, do we have, uh, uh, do, do uh, this is the virus or this is the virus plus something else, or this is uh, something absolutely uh, different. Number two, we will be in position to see what exactly is this, uh, is in all those tests who are, uh, let's say, Mm, prepare it with nobody uh, knows uh, what kind of uh, specificators uh, uh, or uh, viruses or, or something else. Number three, we will be positioned in those 12 plus one laboratories uh, to understand what exactly is uh, in the so-called vaccines who are absolutely not vaccines because I can uh, I'm absolutely sure about it. Uh, I was uh, vice president and uh, general director of the uh, biggest veterinary diagnostic laboratory in Moscow. And uh, in the best time, we were serving 168 of the biggest veterinary clinics as external laboratory. And our laboratory was created by Canadian professors from Atlantic Veterinary College, uh, uh, Prince Edward Island uh, province, uh, city of Charlottetown, one of the, one of the four um, veterinary universities in Canada. And one of these guys, Dennis Oletson, was the creator of exactly this system, uh, external system to, to quality control of the work of the laboratory. So we we understand what uh, how it works and how to do it uh, uh, to gain results. The, the most difficult part of this chain of laboratories that they're supposed to work uh, 24 hours, uh, seven days per week in uh, 360 five days per year, but they're supposed to work totally free, pro bono. It means that uh, all the uh, all the payments in this uh, laboratory is supposed to be all the sustainable, uh, let's say, charges uh, and uh, payments and salaries supposed to be uh, paid, uh, uh, paid by uh, donation. And we need to collect at least uh, 75 million euros to create these labs, and these labs will not work uh, under uh, government accreditation, political, um, political dependence, etc., etc., etc. Probably shortly, this is the situation in Bulgaria and what we are doing. Um, is it? We spoke, Plamen. We spoke with uh, two members of the European Parliament. One from Croatia, uh, Mr. Sincic and the other from Romania, uh, Mr. Teres. And we from, we're going to have an interview with them on our Corona Committee, uh, just like we're doing it with you right now. And the big question that we had is, why is it that the former or that the East European countries seem to be a few steps ahead of the rest? Why is that? And the explanation that Mr. Sincic gave us makes a lot of sense to me because he said in our countries the the memory of what fascism is is very fresh because it's only one generation ago that we got rid of uh, fascism in your countries in western europe it is three generations ago and that is why so many people can't believe that what is going on has to do anything with fascism they refuse 
to accept this idea because it's it's so out of their world uh, that they just cannot make a connection with this kind of reality. Do you think that is true? You know, I have slightly different opinion because uh, the fascists and the Nazis are, let's say, nobles uh, in comparison with uh, these the actual guys, because these actual guys are the champions and those are amateurs. Uh, <laughs> Why in Eastern Europe uh, the situation is uh, different? I have my thoughts, so probably I can be wrong, of course, but uh, number one, uh, people was uh, accepted that the government supposed to be responsible for, not uh, only uh, we, for, for our destiny. So these expectations are in very dramatic uh, psychological conflict with this reality. So people are very, uh, let's say, angry to his uh, uh, government because they understand that this is not his government. This is some kind of traitors, and traitors supposed to do not be, uh, let's say, we, we, we cannot obey to the traitors. We, we're supposed to sue it and uh, probably uh, take it to the jail. Uh, the number two, the all the Eastern Europe, uh, yes, it was um, probably... Uh, almost uh, 50 years um, in the system of uh, socialism, uh, not communism, but anyway, uh, it means that those peoples uh, are uh, very uh, conservative. So the family, the tradition, the work, uh, to work uh, honestly, hard, and uh, gain all the goods in his life, uh, working hard and honestly and smartly, is uh, some kind of big value, and all these liberal values uh, are absolutely not applicable for majority of the people. Yes, uh, the, the government is exactly uh, from the people who are result from so-called colonial uh, back uh, selection, uh, selection not by the best, but by the worst, uh, because, but this is the, let's say, the simple colonial system method, who is very well uh, um, elaborated and uh, very well uh, described it in the books. I will not uh, repeat it. But uh, this system is already absolutely understandable. It, it is not nothing new. And uh, number three. All those uh, Eastern European people are very suspicious to his government. They are mm -hmm. very, let's say, uh, they don't trust and uh, when they see some kind of lie every lie make these people very angry and and when they take his uh, hands to our children it is the red line he cannot and cannot supposed to be gone across to it's absolutely not acceptable not acceptable to the level of civil war if it will be needed with guns if it will be needed with the sticks or uh, stones, if it will be needed, doesn't matter how. Mm. What is the what are the um, numbers of people who are sick with COVID, and do you also have numbers of people who suffer side effects after the so-called vaccinations? Are there any official numbers, or uh, can you not trust the official numbers if there are any? I can fully trust to the official number because they don't exist. <laughs> I mean that there is absolutely no the system for report of adverse reactions. And uh, despite the fact that uh, when we gain by the uh, same, uh, let's say, uh, strong, uh, how, um, I mean by force, 
uh, coming to the Ministry of Health of uh, January the 15th this year, uh, when uh, the minister was, uh, let's say, he was escaped. He, he see us and he has escaped from some kind of back door. We, we cannot block this black door because of the uh, construction, uh, architectural construction of this building, doesn't matter. But his uh, deputy ministers was coming to spoke with us. Otherwise, uh, they, they understand that they, they will be probably bring it to us by police because police was uh, very angry to him too. And now the Bulgarian police is very uh, angry to the government too because it, uh, um, it relates to his children too. They, they're supposed to be obligated to uh, take these uh, shots, this vaccination as a police too. And uh, more than 84, 85% of the police and the medical system are not vaccinated. And these 15% who are supposed to be vaccinated, uh, the vaccination is at maximum uh, between 7 to 8%. Everybody else are buying by corruption away uh, all those uh, certificates uh, to, to make his uh, life uh, at least uh, slightly more easy for next couple of months. The vaccination is uh, absolutely not acceptable. I mean, this kind of vaccination, who is absolutely not a vaccination, is uh, not acceptable to the people because, you know, Bulgaria is like, uh, is like um, probably like uh, Israel and the Jews. We have uh, 5 million Bulgarians in Bulgaria and we have at least 3 million Bulgarians spread uh, over the world. So we have uh, informers from every uh, point of the world, from every point of the, uh, I mean, the European European Union. And uh, what Televisor said, uh, nobody cares uh, because the most uh, sold, uh, sold um, televisions, uh, the next uh, seven years are smart TV, not because of uh, smart, uh, because uh, they uh, can choose not only the mainstream media, but uh, alternative uh, source of media. And mm -hmm. uh, in Bulgaria, people are very well informed because when I compare my knowledge and I see the situation with uh, censorship in Bulgaria, the censorship uh, is presented, of course, and it's very hard, uh, of course, but it's absolutely nothing comparing with France, comparing with the uh, UK, comparing with uh, America, it's absolutely nothing. We're mm -hmm. in paradise comparing with those countries. So our people are uh, better informed because we have a constant base, the sources of real information, what is going on in countries where uh, everything, uh, what they are telling us that we're supposed to do, they are already doing, but Nobody is free. Nobody is uh, less uh, less uh, infected. Nobody is a uh, less uh, mortality rate. The uh, the infected and mortality rate rise up absolutely accordingly with the vaccination uh, level. All the graphs from uh, Switzerland, from the uh, Italy, from the Germany, from the uh, Denmark, from the Holland, from the, from, the, from the other all the countries is absolutely parallel. It means that all the infections and mortality rate are created by so-called vaccines. And because those vaccines aren't vaccines, because they cannot be vaccines, I don't, I don't mean uh, only uh, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, uh, Johnson & Johnson or Moderna, but I mean Sputnik, uh, Sputnik V, Sputnik Light, uh, let's say the other Russian uh, vaccines. All the Russian vaccines aren't vaccines as um, 
Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca. Sputnik is created uh, by common forces uh, from uh, AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson, and this is official. It is not a conspiracy. It is official information on public uh, accessible uh, resources. That's all. They they do not create nothing uh, nothing new. So-called Sputnik V, so who's supposed to be Sputnik Five? Well, you know why is five? Because uh, this uh, company, so-called uh, Gamalay uh, institution, uh, was uh, trying to make four vaccines before this one, and all the uh, um, all the tries was failed. They do not create any vaccines. You you can imagine that uh, if uh, uh, you are uh, absolutely impossible to make a bicycle, uh, you cannot uh, create a Lamborghini just like this. <laughs> Four times you cannot create a bicycle, but uh, from from nothing suddenly you create a Lamborghini. It, it yes. is possible. Uh, what is this Sputnik Five? It's a combination. It's a concerted effort of. AstraZeneca and what is the other one? Johnson, uh, Johnson and Johnson. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And what can one? Which company makes that? Is is it a is it an additional company? Uh, this, this, this is the company where one of the daughters of Putin is working, and it's called some kind of institution Gamalei. Gamalei. It's a name of one of a microbiologist, the Russian, the biggest one. The past twenty years, I live and work in Moscow. Uh, probably the majority of my time. So that's why I know not only the Bulgarian, but uh, the Russian reality in details, in very big details. I have a contact even in administration of uh, Mr. Putin. I will not uh, give uh, names, but uh, I have uh, good informers. Let's say like this. That's actually um, quite shocking, no? Yes, it is. It is. This is brand new information. <laughs> it is provable. It is provable by documentary, if you need. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why are they doing this? Why? I mean, it, it wouldn't it be enough to explain to the people, here's AstraZeneca, here's Johnson, here's BioNTech, Pfizer, here's Moderna. Why are they creating a product which doesn't exist and call it Sputnik V? Why do you think that this is meant to appeal to Eastern European people so that they can think this is one of our own products or why are they doing this? Rainer, probably you will not like uh, the, my answer. My answer, uh, I don't like my answer too, but uh, it was very painful for me to understand these realities in Russia because I understand those realities not from the beginning of my 20 years, but uh, probably after 216 years. So I spent more than 15 years and I was in some kind of, I don't know, illusions about it. The, uh -huh. uh, the problem or the reality is that... Uh, Russia is a colony, is a, a colony with uh, external government, uh, let's say, uh, all the processes in Russia uh, are exactly like uh, in colony, and uh, Putin is some kind of a local chief of uh, this colony, no, nothing else. Uh, so um, if Putin understands that it's, he's supposed to obey uh, and to feel full, all the recommendations of uh, well, uh, World Health Organization. It is a very uh, interesting question, why the guy with the nuclear, uh, let's say, uh, buttons uh, with uh, so-called nuclear triad, it means the um, space, uh, the water, and the land uh, uh, nuclear weapons, 
all those nuclear weapons and you're listening and you're um, you're like, uh, I don't know, some kind of servant of uh, World Health Organization who do doesn't have uh, probably even a pistol at, I don't know. Uh, it is because all the systems in Russia, all absolutely all the system, and especially the monetary system is absolutely depending from the um, International Monetary Fund, from the uh, World Bank uh, and uh, from um, Federal Reserve System because the Russian ruble is uh, not a Russian rubble. The Russian rubble is um, some kind of uh, paper who's supposed to be issued uh, only with uh, accordance and if it will be allowed by uh, International Bank of Manhattan in New York, uh, where some kind of uh, Russian goods produced by Russia are uh, supposed to be sold uh, for uh, American, uh, for, for Federal Reserve dollars. Those Federal Reserve dollars come to exactly this uh, International um, Bank of uh, New York in Manhattan, and some kind of uh, administrator makes some notice that in Russia, you can um, print some kind of Russian rubles, half of these dollars. Uh, it means that the uh, uh, Federal Reserve dollars reserve of Russia in United States in Manhattan are twice bigger than the quantity of uh, Russian rubles who are uh, current in uh, Russia. So Putin doesn't change this system, doesn't try to uh, change this system. He was trying only to use this system to make his life and the life of his um, people, I mean the couple of thousand people, uh, better than for uh, everybody else. That's why for the last uh, four years, he created so-called National Guards, and National Guards are using only against your own people, not against some kind of uh, external enemy, but against your own people on the streets, uh, uh, in, in the places, etc., etc. And uh, from three Russian uh, countries today, I mean Belarus, uh, uh, Ukraine, and uh, Russia. The biggest one, Russia, was submitted. The second one, Ukraine, is submitted. But only the smallest one, I mean the Belarus, uh, wasn't submitted and they wasn't, um, let's say, uh, fearful. No one of the World Health Organization recommendations, they do not make lockdown, they do not use masks, they do not close the um, the schools, they do not uh, close the uh, stadiums, they do not close uh, the stores, everything else. They make a parade, I mean the military parade, exactly at the same data without any mask. They make a parade and uh, made the first, uh, I mean the uh, wor uh, World Labor Day absolutely freely uh, without uh, everything else. So Belarus was acting exactly like Sweden. And it was uh, another country, post-Soviet country, who even um, forbidden the, the word coronavirus. It was Turkmenistan. Everything else, everything in Turkmenistan is exactly like before uh, March uh, 2020 for all the other people. And, and there is no uh, bodies, there is no dead bodies, there is no uh, dying people. Everything is like used to be. Absolutely. That is, that is extremely interesting because we have heard from others uh, it is very easy to see that uh, these anti-corona measures don't make any difference whatsoever. We have heard this from the United States. There's North Dakota and South Dakota. In South Dakota, they didn't have any measures. They didn't have any mask mandates, nothing. And they didn't fare any worse than those 
in the neighboring state of North uh, Dakota, where they had a hard lockdown and a uh, mask mandate, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. We're hearing the same story about the Amish people, which is a group of people that live in, um, in Pennsylvania who are separate from the rest of society and live really decent, very good lives, as we now know. And they, uh, they don't have any electricity because they don't like this kind of modern life. And, that's be and because they don't have any electricity, they are not being bombarded with propaganda because they don't have any television, of course. And they're, and they're saying the same story. They're telling us the same story. They had no measures whatsoever. They did have a few people who were sick, probably something like the flu. We still don't know what it is, but uh, many people think it's just a relabeling of the common flu. And uh, on May, uh, in uh, May of 2020, the whole thing was over. Same thing, same stories being told to us by the, um, by the um, Israeli Orthodox Jews. They have their own group of people separate from the others. They even have their own judiciary. And they too are saying, we have no problems here. Now, you're telling us the same story about Belarus. I think a good uh, a, a friend of ours whom we uh, interviewed on our Corona committee told us the same story. Nothing going on. He was even he was uh, he, he was going to all these parties, to nightclubs, etc., and said nothing, no masks, no social distancing. And you're saying the same is true for Turkmenistan, correct? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Uh, you, you know, Rainer, uh, as a biologist, as a veterinarian with uh, 32 years experience, and as a uh, Vice President of the biggest uh, veterinary laboratory uh, created by Canadians uh, in Moscow, I mean Global Vetnostics. I can uh, share my, not the knowledge, but uh, probably uh, I, I believe that it is the main hypothesis uh, for this. Uh, this is a real coronavirus, but coronavirus are nothing unusual, nothing new, mm -hmm. and nothing uh, damaging because the coronaviruses was in my books as a veterinary student and uh, in, in, in year 86, the past uh, century, and uh, veterinarians uh, know very well the group of coronaviruses. We have uh, vaccines for dogs, uh, including uh, coronavirus, and I make thousands of such uh, vaccines in the 90s uh, of the past century. We have uh, vaccines for cattle, uh, and my colleagues do millions of uh, such vaccines uh, from coronaviruses for cattle and uh, calves, etc. We have uh, uh, coronaviruses vaccines for cats, uh, so-called uh, infectious uh, peritonitis. Uh, it's not a very effective vaccine, but is existing. Uh, and we know uh, about uh, coronavirus uh, diseases for poultry and for swine, so-called transmissive uh, uh, viral uh, gastroenteritis. So in animals, the majority of coronaviruses uh, uh, essentially attack uh, gastrointestinal system, not the respiratory system. The respiratory system is a secondary and not the main one. So I believe that in the past year, they make some kind of laboratory uh, virus uh, and the base as a chassis for um, suspension of, for such a kind of uh, car. And they put in there some kind of gene parts from other diseases to make it stronger, but they do not uh, uh, work uh, correctly. That's why uh, in the past spring, this uh, virus wasn't deadly, wasn't so uh, scary, and only media make people scary, only media. But for the autumn, the past year, they make uh, tuning, let's say like this, 
and mm -hmm. it was a very dangerous and it was a, a different virus and i was sick for probably 20 days with 39.5 degrees celsius i mean it was uh, it was difficult but i wasn't scared because i know the process and i know very well what to do and what not to do with mm -hmm. the disease so uh, if uh, uh, we uh, um, we need to understand this process uh, it is a very interesting part uh, right you can imagine uh, you, you you can remember when the all the um, all the notices about uh, a seasonable uh, flu was uh, happening they, they come uh, as a um, adversary what to say in english okay uh commercial i mean com commercial mm -hmm. yes commercial for the new uh, flu uh, vaccines was coming every year in february and in march and uh, all the commercial was telling us that this is for new kind of strain and it wasn't uh, working for such a other kind of strain of grip uh, of uh, flu but this is a very interesting point um if it will act naturally some kind of new let's say mutate a strain of uh, flu virus supposed to came people supposed to uh, uh, make sick they supposed to have some uh, let's say secrets uh, uh, i mean uh, uh, from nose etc etc it's supposed to be taken from the laboratory doctors it's supposed to be uh, studied to understand what uh, kind of virus we have now then it come to the institution and laboratories who are trying to gain uh, to, to make vaccine only trying it's not for sure that it will be happen after the laboratories will do his work in vitro not in vivo in vitro it come to the some kind of administrators uh, uh, bookkeepers uh, uh, secretaries etc to uh, to have the allow to to have a let's say certificate that you can uh, on commercial base make uh, some kind of vaccines and this process even you if you have billions is supposed to take at least uh, four seven uh, probably nine months it means that you're supposed to be ready for this march uh, flu uh, assist uh, only in, <laughs> in september or in the end of the year when nobody needs such a kind of vaccines and if those vaccines are not only coming with at the same time with this uh, uh, flu uh, vag but they even predict they, they come previously it means that the producer of the vaccine and the virus is absolutely the same and the the same situation is uh, right now with uh, such a kind of, such a coronavirus but um let's say comparing with uh, flu and grip viruses there is no any isolation of this virus i remember the words of uh, uh, professor uh, luc montanier who was uh, one of the creators of uh, he, he iv with uh, professor robert galo in april the past year and he was asking the people he's very very old man already he doesn't uh, scare for for the death etc he was asking can you explain me what are doing in this virus the sequences from the hiv virus not only the particle because he, if uh, it was uh, some kind of bat some kind of pangolin if uh, it uh, becomes spontaneous it is impossible to have some kind of sequences all the sequences 
It means it's a laboratory engineering. It is a gene uh, therapy. It's a gene uh, produced uh, virus. Yeah, that's yeah. what um, th there is a lot of evidence that points in that direction. Um, we have heard from some of the experts who we spoke with. Uh, one of them is a specialist on uh, bioweapons. He's both a medical doctor and a lawyer. And uh, he explained to us that, uh, and others as well, that there were these experiments, <clears throat> gain of function experiments. We don't know where they were conducted, probably in more than just one place. One of the places could be Wuhan, another one could be one or more places in the United States. But in these gain-of-function experiments, uh, people like uh, uh, Anthony Fauci and uh, his German counterpart, uh, Drosten, were involved in this. They've been lying about this, but the uh, emails that uh, were published um, because of a Freedom of Information Act re request prove that both of them are involved in this. The uh, bottom line is, though, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the bottom line is that whatever they created, um, it is not really more dangerous than the common flu, because that's what they're telling us. 99.97% survival rate and um, the infection fatality rate, even the WHO, and of course, John Ioannidis agree it's between one point, uh, it's between 0.14 or 0.15% and uh, Jay Bhattacharya, who is another professor from uh, Stanford University, he said it's probably 0.2%. But that's still within the realm of the, um, of the dangerousness of the, of the common flu. Do you agree with that? Uh, you know, it's a very interesting story. And I'll try to explain it uh, um, because you're not a virologist, biologist, and doctors uh, on the absolutely accessible and accept, uh, acceptable for the ordinary people uh, language. Uh, by the way, the Bulgarian Dr. Fauci uh, was taking his third shot of Pfizer, and it is mortally sick uh, for probably two weeks already, and probably wow. he's not. <laughs> yes, it's a very good, it's a very good explanation why. why um, since when uh, is coming this uh, mortality rate for, from the vaccines? Of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, all the viruses in the nature have only one kind of uh, life. Uh, doesn't matter it's a wild virus or it is a laboratory virus, it's a, some kind of se sequence of genes. And if some kind of laboratory virus who is prepared to be, uh, let's say, um, bioweapon, uh, come to the uh, human population, the destiny of this virus is only one. He will uh, infect some kind of people, probably uh, those one who are um, with a weak immune system can die, but Anyway, despite of the uh, all the other, let's say, details, this virus will uh, go in conflict with every immune system of every uh, people because every uh, uh, every man uh, have some kind of immune system, and the majority of the people are clinically health. Clinically, it means that uh, in general they are healthy people. If they are healthy people in general. All those, uh, let's say, uh, mortality and morbidity, it means the potential to make people sick uh, qualities of the uh, virus 
came lower, lower, lower because he's absolutely needed to adapt to survive. And if he will not adapt to this immune system, uh, he will die. And this uh, process is known in the science uh, like uh, passing the virus. It means that virus is mutating, but he's mutating in the um, direction of less mortality, less morbidity, and less uh, um, damaging people. Uh, when our populations aren't like in the middle age, or where uh, when people was uh, in small uh, quantities, but we are uh, in megapolises, this process uh, now in our realities come dramatically faster than used to be. It means that after a couple of months, this virus, if he's existing, uh, he will uh, be absolutely not uh, dangerous for us. He will be close to the, his uh, uh, let's say wild uh, nature, and he will um, lose his additional genes from other diseases because these additional genes are created by artificial uh, liaisons uh, by some kind of enzymes, and they are uh, they are fragile. They, they they cannot be stable for a long time. It is absolutely exactly like uh, the process uh, who was uh, happened with the horses when America was uh, uh, conquered. I mean the French, the British, and the Spain bring a decade of uh, uh, horse races, absolutely different for pleasure, for work, uh, for battle, for, for for races. Doesn't they was absolutely different? But uh, uh, when in this continent the horses uh, one by one become free, uh, all those uh, races uh, start to let's say. Uh, uh, crossing over be, be, between them. And finally, we have a Mustangs who are not uh, similar to any of other uh, initial uh, races who was uh, coming to the uh, to the continent uh, in, in America. So virus uh, is uh, have absolutely the same destiny. That's why to have some kind of dangerous virus, they are, uh, they are obligated, I mean, uh, the laboratories are obligated to produce a new portions a new batches of these viruses every year, twice per year, because the the past year batch is already not working, not existing <laughs> even. That's good to know. That's good it, to know. It's absolutely true. It's a scientifically proven true. Yeah, I think that is exactly what Wolfgang Wodak and the others have told us. Um, when you talk about the rates of vaccination, you're saying that, um, I think you said about the police officers, that amongst the police force, there's only 85, uh, there's only 15% who really got vaccinated. Is that true for the rest of the population as yes. well? Yes, yes, exactly. Wow. wow. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, formally, in Bulgaria, we have about 20% uh, vaccinated. In reality, we have between 7 to 8% at, at maximum, no more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have a lot of um, vaccination victims then? I guess not, because there's not so many people vaccinated. Um, you know, I I know about uh, many of people who was uh, dying and or suffering after these vaccines, even uh, celebrities, because celebrities cannot be high, uh, high to, uh, like uh, our Dr. Fauci. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean the general sanitary inspector, Mr. Angel Kunchev. Uh, mm -hmm. because majority of them was obligated to do his shots, uh, let's say, uh, before uh, TV, TV cameras, mm -hmm. uh, up front of the TV cameras, so <laughs> they cannot hide. Uh, 
and uh, what was the destiny of uh, let's say some kind of artist some kind of tv uh, reporters etc who have uh, his uh, productions on a constant basis every day and then disappear and and then it was uh, uh, happening because of facebook because of the social media etc that uh, his uh, uh, relatives uh, are uh, telling us uh, they, they do not hide uh, these uh, details that uh, he make his uh, first shot or he make uh, his uh, second shot and uh, uh, please uh, come to the funeral in this uh, data in this place yes 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 of course and if it will uh, the the let's say the strong point of uh, small countries like Bulgaria is that uh, such a kind of uh, events uh, cannot be hide for for a long time or cannot be hide absolutely at least for the um, celebrities and for the popular people and uh, um, that's why they, there is not any statistic there is no any uh, resource where you can report some kind of uh, adverse reaction but people mm -hmm. know because mm -hmm. the um, cemeteries are the most growing part of bulgarian cities and villages and the people are coming every week and we see who is dying. We talk with the relatives and we know the truth. Mm -hmm. well, do you do you think there's potential that in Bulgaria, um, basically everyone would say, hey, we just don't comply anymore, you know, you... We have had it. This is the end of the story. Do you think that the Bulgarian people will go that far? Are they, are, I mean, they seem to be very well educated. They seem to be very well informed, much better informed than the rest of the world. Maybe it has to do with so many Bulgarians living outside of the country and your people not trusting the mainstream media anyway. Rainer, I have a friend, a Bulgarian doctor, who is a laboratory doctor, very, very well uh, educated and very experienced, uh, who is living in the city of Varna. And his uh, girlfriend, uh, let's say his wife, uh, is working and uh, live in Dusseldorf in Germany. And that's why he is uh, flying on constant basis very often to the Dusseldorf. And he has uh, some kind of uh, German community of German friends from Dusseldorf in Dusseldorf, but the last uh, three months, he told me that uh, at least more than, not at least, but more than 700 Germans from Dusseldorf are coming to live in Syria of Varna, in Bulgaria, because of the wilderness uh, in Germany uh, about the uh, COVID pandemic and uh, uh, soft, um, uh, soft measures in Bulgaria. Because yes, uh, <laughs> on paper, all those rules are uh, working in Bulgaria. But no, Bulgarians doesn't obey, and even the policemen are not so eager to um, to use force against people about it because they understand very well. That is very good to know. You know what? I think we should. Uh, I was very um, I was very impressed uh, speaking with uh, your political colleagues from Croatia and from Romania. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense. It's great that you have connected. I think we should now connect with you as well, because there's a lot to learn from what you have already known. With also, pleasure. I with think pleasure. in our new, in our next government, we can offer you the a job. We can offer you the job of the German. I'm full uh, of jobs. I'm full of jobs. <laughs> you know why? Because you're a veterinarian, and the guy who runs our CDC is a veterinarian. Except he doesn't make any sense, and you do. Uh, Rainer, do you know uh, what is the, let's say, uh, specialization of uh, Mr. Uh, Albert Bourla, the chief executive office of Pfizer? 
I only know that he's of uh, Greek descent. I have no idea. I think he's not a, a medical doctor. He has nothing to do with uh, the medical system at all. He's the chef of veterinary profession because he's uh, from city of uh, Thessalonica, Greece. He yeah. was educated in veterinary fa faculty in the city of uh -huh. Thessaloniki, but he wasn't work one a single day as a practitioner or uh, uh, in, um, let's say, uh, examination or education. He go to the commercial from the day one. Mm -hmm. And this guy, veterinarian, is uh, up front of the Pfizer uh, global mm -hmm. system. And uh, and when in Bulgaria we are fighting with some kind of doctors, they are they, they are telling me, "Oh, you're a veterinarian. Please uh, shut up. Me shut up. Why are you listening, to Albert Bourla, in, in such a case?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the conversation is ending. But uh, you know uh, the veterinarians uh, are in the very good position now because. Um, I understand that this is absolutely madness, but uh, uh, the veterinary laboratories and veterinary medications and veterinary uh, systems of di diagnostics are using more and more by people in Bulgaria because they absolutely do not trust to the medical system because medi uh, the human medical doctors in Bulgaria are uh, taken uh, to the angle of absolutely absurd situation. Uh, for example, um, the, the public monetary system, uh, the health monetary system uh, was uh, preparing for him. Um, we will pay only for positive PCR reactions. If people are negative, we will not pay. So uh, if you are not COVID, we will not pay. So what people can do if he has uh, some kind of mild uh, symptoms uh, and uh, uh, if he, he will uh, give uh, some uh, samples, samples will um, be pos positive because otherwise the statistic can all grow up. And they are asking veterinarians like me. It's absurd. I'm absolutely un un uncomfortable with it because I know that uh, human medicines are very well trained, very educated people. Uh, uh, they're in absolutely... I will tell you a story uh, from uh, Hungary, and I'm absolutely sure that if you have a medical doctors from Hungary, uh, they, they, they will um, prove it, they, they will co confirm it. It sounds like a madness, but it, it was telling uh, to me um, from my best friend from the school uh, years, who was uh, 37 years uh, um ophthalmos surgeon uh, in city of Mishkols uh, in uh, Hungary. It's a third or fourth uh, city in Hungary. Uh, in the end of past year, the, he come to the hospital where he was uh, working for uh, past uh, 36 years to sign a contract uh, for his uh, medical works uh, for the next year, for this year. And uh, um, despite of the fact that the, he signed uh, this contract 36 years uh, on constant basis, uh, the same contract, he already wrote all the contract from the uh, letter one to the letter uh, end in details. And he was uh, very upset because uh, he was uh, telling me, you know, if I will sign this contract, I'm supposed to be military obligated. So uh, it means that Hungarian government can tell me uh, you are not already ophthalmosurgeon, you are some kind of uh, other uh, practitioner uh, medical uh, system, and uh, if you work in Mishkolts, you will work where we will tell you. 
the other part of this new contract was uh, that it's supposed to be non-disclosure agreement, uh, otherwise he will come to jail. The uh, number three is that uh, no public events about the, um, the medicine specifics can be shared in all internet. And number four, uh, if you will sign this contract, he cannot be dismissed by his uh, uh, own will. Otherwise, he will, he will come to jail too. Uh, fortunately, this my friend have uh, some other businesses and he can uh, he can afford to lose this job because he have uh, some other incomes and uh, he's not uh, anymore a doctor in his uh, in this uh, um, human hospital uh, already but he uh, still have uh, very close contacts with his uh, colleagues because it is a 36 years you, you can imagine and he described me what was happened with uh, his uh, ophthalmosurgery division in this uh, Mishkols uh, hospital every hungarian from Mishkols can uh, confirm it uh, the number one they uh, reform the ophthalmosurgery division in hospital in Mishkols in COVID decision. It make, uh, uh, if uh, you are trying to do uh, some kind of boost to Lamborghini, I don't know, so, or, or some kind of truck to Lamborghini. It's absolutely impossible, but they, uh, they, they do it. Uh, but the most interesting part is what kind of doctors are working in this new COVID division. Uh, the doctor number one is, um, uh, ex-student two years uh, after after getting the medical school uh, without any experience but at least the theory is still in the head at least some kind of <laughs> some kind of theory the second doctor is uh, his colleague the ophthalmosurgist uh, who for these 36 years forget everything about respiratory system about the infectious disease about everything else and uh, he doesn't know what to do and the doctor number three is dermatologist, respiratory, infectious diseases, virology disease, dermatologist, skin diseases. Those three peoples can, can, um, can, cannot be oriented even what is happening. They understand that they have some kind of protocol, which is uh, some kind of uh, list of orders. What kind of medication we do if we, if we have a, a single positive reaction and they cannot change everything. They follow this protocol and people are dying people who came uh let's say uh, adequate uh, yes they are scary yes they are sneezy yes they have some coughing yes yes they can have some kind of fever but they are adequate they are in his own legs they are they, they, they are with uh, um, let's say uh, conservative physical condition and well, what, we, what, what is happening plumbing is i think I will they're, tell you. I will they're trying tell you. to destroy the medical system uh, absolutely. And I will tell you uh, one thing who supposed to be, I, I, I will understand if you will not uh, um, believe me, but uh, I prefer to do not believe me, but check. No problem. I have, uh, let's say, I know uh, senior medical sister in city of Riga. It's, it's mm -hmm. a capital of Latvia who was uh, 22 years uh, senior uh, medical sister. Uh, let's say, yes, you, you understand, in the hospital where it was infectious, respiratory, chronic uh, uh, diseases. And when she returned after vacation, she, uh, I, I mean, in the end of uh, 2020, uh, she uh, realized that uh, his uh, department uh, was conformed to the COVID. But this is, this is normal because uh, infectious, mm -hmm. respiratory disease, okay. But 
in um, city of Riga, in this hospital, people are starting to die. And because she's a very experienced uh, woman, she see very attentively this protocol. And in this protocol, she see the medications who supposed to do not be used for this. And one of these medications was so-called uh, so Nimbex. Nimbex is a preparation who is used for myorelaxation. And the dosage of this Nimbex in protocol was, according uh, Marina Karnatovska, four to five times more than in the um, instruction from the producer, four to five times. It means that if you have a myorelaxation, this myorelaxation, uh, um, let's say, uh, stop your breathing muscle between, uh, between, between ribs, and you cannot breathe spontaneously because spontaneous breathing is because of our inter-rib uh, muscles. So if you are using this medication, people cannot breathe. If they cannot breathe, they put it in the uh, oxygen uh, respirators, but they still cannot breathe because of this Nimbex, and people are dying, and it comes to the constant base. She was very upset. She was coming to the um, leading doctor in this uh, division, and she was asking, listen, doctor, probably you are uh, killing people, or these dosages are not uh, uh, well. Something is very wrong here. And he was telling uh, her, uh, it is our protocol, it is confirmed and uh, given from World Health Organization. Uh, you are not a doctor, you are a nurse, so do uh, your job and do not uh, ask for, for, for such a thing. But this lady was uh, staying very upset, was uh, described this in uh, her um, YouTube channel. After this, the policemen and the, all the cameras in Latvia was coming to his home, uh, like uh, she is uh, some kind of drug dealer or uh, organized uh, crime group. Uh, and uh, they put it, her in jail. They, uh, of course, uh, she was fired. And now they are trying to put her in jail. Um, I mean, the, the consequences uh, up to five years. Why? Because this Marina Karnatovska uh, broken and uh, in ruin the authority of medical profession. Nobody was telling that these dosages, these preparations aren't in this protocol. In fact, uh, substantially, nobody was uh, comment uh, what, what uh, she was telling. But because she ruined the authority of uh, medical profession. So I believe that in Hungary, it is absolutely the same time. I asked my uh, Russian colleagues who are in uh, um, COVID uh, divisions uh, to ask this protocol. They give it to me. And I shortly I realized that there is some kind of um, core who is uh, uh, from uh, um, World Health Organization. And every country can add, if uh, she wants, some kind of another uh, drugs. But in this core, People are not cannot be healthy. So the Russians, the Bulgarians, uh, medical doctors, uh, because we are let's say rebels, uh, what they do? He, uh, many of our doctors was uh, collecting the people uh, in the hospital and telling, you know, we will um, we will subscribe that we are doing everything uh, um, according the protocol, but we are uh, acting like we know and we do. And that's all. And people start to uh, leave from hospital alive. People start to get healthy. 
the same situation, the rebel medical situation is uh, in uh, Ukraine, in Russia, in Bulgaria, and I believe in other countries. If some uh, some kind of people are going from hospital alive, there is a, some kind of rebel who is not fulfilled this protocol from World Health Organization. Excellent. I think we have to spread this news. It's a good thing you told us this story as well. And I hope we can help the people in Latvia and other uh, Eastern European countries. Uh, Plamen, we are a little out of time because our next <laughs> guest is waiting, but uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you and uh, we must definitely stay in touch. I think we really have to connect with the Eastern European people because we have lots to learn from you. Thank you very much, Plamen. Thank you, Rainer, and to all, everybody. And sorry that uh, I do not manage my time frame. <laughs> sorry for That's that. all right. That's all right. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. Ja, jetzt, ähm, genau, jetzt kommen wir uns zu unseren letzten Gästen. Das sind ähm, Wilfried Schmitz und Eleonore Fischer. Can we hear us? Good evening. Okay, we'd like to present something which is a bit of a positive perspective after all the things that we've been hearing today which is an organization connectinglife.org which is been developed by you uh, it'd be great if you could tell us what is behind this yeah the idea was very simple and uh, it's been around for quite some time uh, i talked to so many people in the last year and a half as a as a lawyer and also on a private level and what I noticed time and again was the fact that people didn't only feel isolated, but they were isolated. So, so uh, uh, you know, at the school there was only one parent who ever rebelled uh, against any measures and at, uh, in a job situation it was only one out of many who was not in agreement, just the same at the school, one teacher. Uh, and then you have a lot of peer pressure, which is uh, not very pleasant. And I noticed that especially uh, in the rural area, it's very difficult to reconnect. And um, so I, I got to know Eleonora, who is involved in the parent network. And within her framework, she was uh, networking amongst parents uh, whose kids were uh, suffering from the measures in the schools. So we wanted to start something that is positive and that uh, helps the people to get into a positive relationship. So I uh, designed the concept and uh, talked to a few people. But technically, it was a web designer from Berlin, Sonja Schmidt from Schmidt Communication. She uh, built a beautiful homepage, all of that uh, uh, free of charge, because we simply didn't have any money. We started out of nothing. And with that, we took off. And uh, we were quite surprised ourselves that it was so well uh, accepted. Uh, we knew that uh, people would receive it uh, 
in a forthcoming manner, but uh, even more so than we expected, 200,000 visitors within a short period of time and 300,000 clicks. So uh, that's how it all evolved. So that was my motivation as a lawyer, not only to fight the windmills, the justice, but to start something positive. And I think with you it's the same, absolutely. Yes, for me it was just the same, and in the parent networks we saw that many of the old structures collapsed, friendships uh, broke up, parents are desperate, and uh, they don't find any playmates for their children. And after this long time getting out of uh, being against something, we wanted to build this platform for people to meet each other each other to connect to enjoy things be it that they go out hiking or singing with the children whatever we offer opportunity for people to connect on a local basis and free of technology interact with other people <clears throat> so getting away from the frustration back to action enjoy life again people are very desperate we have many single parents and this was a reason to do that free of charge on this platform because many many people uh, hardly manage their monthly payments and this is why we tried to go uh, into the headway and said if people have something uh, they can donate they'd be happy uh, they'd be welcome and everybody can enjoy it it's nothing elitary and it is to connect people to join up people on a very simple basis because the psyche of the people has been hit so hard that something good must come around the corner yeah you're calling yourself healing social distancing and uh, since uh, we are now very close to a new lockdown who knows what's going to happen uh, in, a, in light of that such a thing is is very good of course so what can we do on the platform the platform is extendable extendable we've got work for people who are looking for a job and people who offer jobs we've got a platform for partnership because uh, it's difficult to get into any bars if you want to find a partner you have to rely to the traditional partnership uh, platforms which are not very cheap we've got a platform for food where you can join up to cook together or um visit restaurants who don't have these measures and we have a platform of children which is to bring children into contact of course with the parents in their own responsibility <clears throat> it's important everything that is on our website is counter checked people connect us the emails are read every uh set of data is manually checked there's always their feedback so that we can prevent misuse which is very important in these times so children for leisure activities um having uh, uh christmas um uh, plays and so on shopping is another area many um are financially uh close to ruin living looking for flats uh, 
flats in communities and offerings, culture. And here it would be good if people who can play instruments can meet up and maybe make music together or uh, um, play out a theatre piece. There's no limit to imagination and creativity here. And leisure time, uh, common hiking, joint hiking, or if you have a swimming pool in your house, you can invite others uh, to go swimming. Whatever you can do, um, uh, all that can be done. And help is a point. Um, many people are, are um, not used to get what they uh, need. And you can find people for help. Uh, there is people who look for help and people who offer help. So we just cover the both sides. And also special, people with special needs. They, we've built up an email contact that can contact us and we'll try to meet their needs and uh, make sure that or, or try to fulfill them. Friends, finding friends, um, getting into more in-depth contact, uh, maybe share concerns, meditate together, whatever people would want to do. And the last point is healing. That is about alternative doctors and uh, traditional doctors, massage, whatever is necessary and important and this in this time for people to offer their help and look for help. Maybe Winfried? Yeah, right. Uh, so this is not directed against anybody or people who are vaccinated, people asked us, of course, it's mostly for the unvaccinated, but we do communicate very clearly that we do not uh, discriminate against those or the others. And of course, many of the offers are actually geared towards those who have not been vaccinated. Uh, sometimes they um, are concerned um, because of all the the perils that are being shown. I mean, that's just, uh, the way things are being shown at the moment. So uh, they cannot even imagine cohabitating with a vaccinated person. Um, so we want people to be able to meet. So we provide uh, an area, a space, a cultural space where people can meet. People must be able to meet, uh, and therefore this is a great platform. And we decided that uh, we are limiting ourselves to the German-speaking area. We could uh, become international, but we want to ask uh, people all over the place that they open it in Italy or uh, in those countries where they have very strict regimes that they uh, open their own networks, their own platforms with their IT technicians. So it doesn't all have to be bundled and in one area so that when uh, one is being turned off, the others can continue. So technically, of course, that shouldn't be an issue. Um, and therefore, I think that with the, what we have available out of nothing we started, we uh, built something which is also visually very attractive. But if it continues like that, 
uh, we need a data processing program uh, and that is something that uh, a pro will have to prepare for us so uh, that the people register by mail they tell us what they want to um, put into their ad and we check it and then all we have to do is press a button and then the ad will be published. That would be the best way to do it. Uh, we're a team of uh, people who work free of charge at Honorum and they do a fantastic job. And because of their biographies in the past 18 months, there are people that uh, we can trust. Uh, we don't get anybody who's anonymous that we pull into the team. Uh, people uh, who have actually suffered because uh, they refuse to have their kids tested at school, for example. So they have shown by their actions that they're willing to cooperate with us. And that's basically the project. Yes, and I must... Uh, and I'd like to add, it's very important to follow that full thought of the decentralization, organizing small groups, because that's a counterbalance to what's going on worldwide, monopolization, centralization, controlling, and we have a close eye on this. Uh, and the only positive way to address this is to build small places of happiness, small uh, networks, uh, knowing this is the house I can go and there is a person, a human being, which is going to, who's going to open the door. That was the idea behind it. I think this is great. Uh, we can see time and again that uh, people are uh, starting to discover their area, their region, and many uh, local, regional groups are getting together uh, of parents or people who uh, cook together, party together, because it's a, it's a joke that, you know, the state is going to prohibit us from having fun and that we cannot have any joie de vivre. Uh, and it's important that we have this kind of initiative. Uh, people got together because there was still some kind of a core of people who were thinking along the same lines. But that's not something that is possible for everybody because not everybody is lucky enough uh, that they have uh, something in their area that uh, see things the way see they, they see it. And that would be a great point uh, to anchor uh, your friendship in. A lot of people are getting together again. Yes, who have become stayed human being and have become aware of that all its polarities has two sides and we are not competition to anyone. This is what we don't want to, that's what we want to leave behind. If there are others who want to do similar projects, they're welcome. We will be happy to support them and uh, away from this uh, further higher better that i thought we want to leave behind and it's a completely new way that especially um we are especially focusing on the children because for the children it's very important to live in a humane environment uh, allowing them to grow up healthy and uh, in all uh, aspects of their lives that's very very important and uh, giving hope to the people by that way. So we 
give our power energy to this, but we don't prescribe anything. We just want to offer the platform. And other projects are in the making. We thought that uh, we have uh, a certain category for startups. So if a technician or an artist or an entrepreneur has a great idea but doesn't have the money or the right environment to put it into practice, well, then through us, we have uh, those who donate, we have those who have money or others who are in the same vein uh, who want to help this project along. And so uh, we're expanding our ideas. But what we currently need and what we currently want to bring about is a, a data uh, administration program. And that is something uh, that uh, nobody will be able to do just in their free time. We uh, need a pro to do that. And <coughs> therefore, uh, we are grateful that we were able to present our project with you guys. For me, it was very important to be able to start something positive. Rainer, he knows what I'm talking about. And uh, this fight, and Eleonora knows it too, this fight uh, against the windmills of the corona justice is not always motivating and pleasant. It hasn't been so in the past year and a half. So instead of telling the parents uh, uh, there is no way <coughs> that we can get through uh, uh, with these claims, then it's good. Where I can say there are certain things that we can do, and it's important that we connect you. <coughs> Life has to go on. Kids have to be able to learn music, to go to sports. People have to be able to meet. To, to practice their hobbies, be able to hike together, no matter what. And for that, we want to provide a platform. We hope that this idea will be taken up. You're well connected. Rainer already put me together with two US Americans. I chatted with them. So I was very grateful and I accepted this um, idea. I don't know how many countries are, are listening in here, but I would be very happy if this idea could also start flourishing in Australia, in Italy, in Canada, wherever. And where it's not pleasant right now, uh, having to um, dispute these matters with the government. So people need to uh, create spaces, and that has been our big theme for the past months. Uh, we need structures, and uh, uh, this is our small contrib contribution. I don't know what's going to be of it, but I think the start was pretty good. Yes, and everybody here is on our team is very enthusiastic about their work, and I'd like to thank them very much. And uh, their aim is to make people smile again, allowing people to be themselves. We are humans, and we are allowed to be so. And we can recreate the positive in life, not just being against, but being for something. And that gives us much more power. And we'd be very pleased to have many people join us, many people implementing realizing similar ideas um, without fighting against things uh, every day. That is something that exhausts us. And this type of project is an exit strategy for this kind of thing. Yeah, that's absolutely the right moment to do so. 
<clears throat> and it was good what Meredith Miller told us earlier that uh, people, when they're in this kind of despair, um, they are looking for escape modes, trying to get away, and they, they sometimes create fictitious world, or some people take drugs or start with virtual reality, and it's great that we have a real down-to-earth reality, and we have bodies as people, and uh, we can be happy, we can dance, we can do many things. Let's see how many people get married on your site. We're yeah. looking forward to the feedback, that is something that uh, we'd be very pleased about to have the feedback saying people saying yes we've found a partner for life we've got our dream our wife our sports friend that would be success stories that we'd like to publish as well so um it's very condensing our philosophy to the saying nothing is as healing as social touch um, uh, one of the a famous chess players said this, and I think that covers the whole truth. If we sustain that, that we join up as people, nurture our culture, even if it is very small, only people playing music, two people making music together, I think that creates a best condition for us to pass through these crazy times and don't uh, have ourselves done in with what's going on. Uh, with the madness that's going on outside and um, uh, probably oh, hopefully this help is around to to finish this at the moment we have to bring life through this time and technology can help in this for example with the website absolutely and also independent of uh, technology to form small groups in your town with a lot of with a couple of kids celebrate uh, uh, a party you know we uh, just had halloween saint martin's day uh, for the children and that get together gives us the strength to overcome these difficult times and man is not made to be alone that's exactly the right countermeasure to this absurd, perverse, perverse social distancing. The term in as such is per se, perversion per se. Uh, so uh, what you see is going to fly. Obviously, very, very imaginable that, of course, not only the people who are very alone at the moment, but everybody, every human being who uh, wants to uh, return to the human values and implement these against the trial to dehumanize and digitize us, that these people join up and maybe some of them will note there are good people who can cook well and uh, then uh, if people think in Bavaria that 2G, you can't go to restaurants anymore, that may be an alternative, possibly um, bring the restaurant operators to the road, to the street. Uh, so it can only have positive effects. I think it's a marvelous idea. Yes, and I think that this social distancing and the fact that people can't get together anymore, uh, if you look back in history, I mean, where did we have revolutions, if you look back? Where was it? In the small bars, in the restaurants, when they were having a beer together or when they were uh, meeting in homes. So there is a lot of sense that goes into it. We want to be a very positive and beautiful counterweight 
Very good. So if the politicians um, who want 1G, that uh, if the families are happy to do that at their homes, okay, do may they do so. We want to have a positive approach to this and uh, sustain life and make life grow. So this is a platform to allow people to connect. There's nothing else that we want. And if we are superfluous one day because normal structures return, then nobody would be happier than our team would because that's our aim. So it's not to build up a new internet giant. That's not the intent. And I think that's the spirits of the old time. We want decentralized local structures to be established. That's what the project is about. Great. That's a beautiful thing. And uh, we can recommend that to our people and those who don't have anything to do on the weekend. Uh, please join uh, connecting mindeslife.org and see what's happening there. And who knows? Maybe you meet some interesting people this weekend. Yes. Thank you very, very much. Um, Please give us a little time in publishing your uh, requests. We're, we're not so many people, and everybody's working very hard to do this as quickly as possible. There will be more people who will join in to help you. You just check them first. We will, we will help you too. You will see. And of course, we're in touch. We are connected because we want to know how this is going to evolve. <clears throat> I think something might be happening today. I could imagine that today on this weekend first uh, connections will be formed and this is what it's about about being human yes i think the legal people know that there's only one law it's the law of humanity and that's the only law and uh, it's great that we had the opportunity to present ourselves here and um, we can only wish our mutual success you with your great um, enlightening work it will bear fruit definitely it is already i think we can feel the uh, new uh, world around and the breakthrough not of the uh, virus but of humanity we have to be patient a little bit but i think it is there it's not established yet though and uh, it'll come around yeah it will be breakthrough of humanity that is what uh, will find its course uh, and working against all of these intents to being suppressed and uh, we won't get suppressed okay well, we are at the end of our transmission. We have learned a lot. We recognized, we saw how many things are happening and what other possibilities there are. I should say, Rainer, uh, you were the big brother today uh, as a Zoom, uh, like I was uh, with Big Sister the other day. And next time you will be here again, live and in color and right here. Thank you very much for joining us. And we're happy that we had an interesting transmission today. We've got one more thing. Well, first of all, thank you very, very much. It's a great work that you're doing, Eleanor and uh, Winfried. Great stuff. Thank you very much. And what we also have is two or three videos. One of it, well, you have to present. One says the narrative of the efficacy of uh, the um, vaccinations is failing. It shows how Fauci start with 100% and then they go down 90, 80, 70, 60. 
uh, down until they have to admit, unfortunately, they are not efficient and we need a booster. It is English, but with German subtitles. And we have another undertaker, very impressive and touching, unfortunately, who reports from England on how people are now dying after the vaccination. Uh, many, many children, 10 times are as many of the newborn. And you've got another video, Viviani. I think it's about automating vaccination robots. What's that about? Yeah, it's a startup uh, <clears throat> that uh, has created uh, some kind of a vaccination robot for the Japs. I was shocked. I was shocked because apparently they see it in such a way that uh, this is going to be a long-term demand for uh, vaccination for... Uh, normally, you don't need that kind of machine at your uh, doctor's... Uh, surgery so from your robot you get your sleeve rolled up and then you get your jab and you go away again and it's actually quite scary and considering that uh, this morning i saw uh, an advertising on one of those moving walls it's time for your booster shot so they really think that this is going to continue just like that i think well we'll see what is going to happen and this is going to be outdated soon all right we need donations uh, not ourselves we don't get anything but uh, for the projects um, we are um, grateful and um, of course those folks that do our engineering here are also grateful enjoy everybody enjoy uh, when you explore the websites from connectingmineslife.org and perhaps there are other old friends that you would like to see again and with whom you would like to do beautiful things so i wish you all a great friday and a great uh, weekend well, you will hear something from us before next week, but uh, you will find out then. You will see when, when, it, when it happens. Okay, enjoy, especially you two, and have a nice weekend. Bye-bye. We have two Impfstoffe, die sehr effektiv sind, hocheffektiv. 100% efficacious.
make sure we clarify that with people. It has nothing to do whether or not it's effective. We know it's highly effective. Highly effective. What else have you noticed recently? You've noticed the massive uptick in babies. Um, and I can I ask how old were these babies? Were they sort of newborns? Well, I, well yeah. Newborns are um, miscarried. I don't know any more than that. I just see them in the fridges, even without names. Baby of, and then the parent's name. Wow. Yeah, it's shocking, and I'm sure there's many more people noticing it too. You see, we, do, we don't deal with newborn babies, so I, I don't get to see what goes on with them, but I see them in the fridges in the mortuaries. And is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I maybe haven't asked you? Um, I can't think of anything. Just that the deaths of adults are down right now. As I say, you've had the waves of people that have been affected by vaccines. Not that it's written down that they, they've died of vaccines, but it's there. And uh, COVID's just non-existent. And can I ask, what is your message to any other people who are thinking of speaking out, any other undertakers? or? I say or do workers? it, do it. Um, problem is with a lot of undertakers who are, um, you know, working for big companies, you're not allowed to speak out. But if you're seeing this, you need to speak out. I mean, it's, it's there, it's clear as day. Nobody else sees these um, death certificates apart from us and the um, crematorium staff. So, it's all there. Thank you very much. Pleasure. My name's Wesley. I've been a funeral director for over three years. Um, so, I have a bit of knowledge about what was going on before this pandemic started and what's going on right now. So there was a spike back in March, April last year, and after that it considerably calmed down. Um, it was all hyped from what I was seeing. Um, and they shut down these extra storage units that they had in the summer and they never opened them up again. Did they use them in the first place? Yes, but I don't think that. I, I couldn't tell you how many bodies were in there, but um, they soon went back down. They were only up for a couple of months. So um, the only time you saw a spike was right at the start of this whole thing, and since there's been next to nothing? Well, come um, autumn, it was probably one of the quietest on record, and other funeral directors will tell you that where they can speak out. Um, but come January, the numbers were going through the roof. But this time, the extra storage units were hidden. They were out of the way. And that's since people were being vaccinated. So this year, as the vaccinations have gone on, I've seen trends through the age groups. Obviously, it's not marked down that they're vaccinated, but to have the most funerals that, you're ever got, that you've ever done in two weeks, um, and they're all aged 30, 40, no older, and that's what you're seeing now? That's what I saw earlier in the year, when that age group got vaccinated. 
And what sort of proportion was that compared to the proportions that you usually deal with? Well, you usually deal with all different age groups, but as I was saying, that the the elderly that were probably going to go in the next year or year and a half or whatever, they've already gone. So there's a big gap there. So we weren't having those deaths anymore. Um, and with younger people, they're now vaccinated, and I had about 12 in one go. And how many would you usually get? Oh, very year? few, very few. But I mean, we've had high... Um, suicide rates, especially in young men, then, then that was mainly last summer into the autumn. But could you give people a sense of proportion? You got 12 in a short space of time, how many would you get in that space of time? One or maybe like a 50% chance? We normally have about four or five funerals going, not 12, 11, 12, and not all of that age group. There would be old people in there. So, um, and then now, what? It's quiet, and what I've seen is a lot of newborn babies in the in the fridges in the mortuaries. So, do you want to talk about the number of newborn babies that you've seen in the mortuaries? Oh, they're they're, they're really high. They're up at about 30 in one hospital. And how many would they usually have? They have fridges that will hold about six to ten maximum, um, and they're never normally full. But now, they're all in the adult section. So there's about maybe 10 times the rate that yeah, we yeah. usually have. Yeah. And obviously there are either miscarried or um, full-term births, stillbirths. But not a lot's been said about it. Well, and what else have you seen? Have you, have you seen another sort of uptake in deaths in younger people recently? Not in people under 20 um, and not in their 20s really but ab above that yes earlier in the summer when they all first went out and got vaxxed but you see what's going to happen is you're going to get the ones that are that um, that it triggers something in them or that they haven't got very good health that they maybe don't know about so they will go first and then down the line we're probably going to see a lot more and what have you seen being put down on the death certificates? Um, there's a lot of myocarditis, um, myocardial infractions, um, you know, it's all blood, heart-based, pneumonia, but COVID, we, I've only had one this year. One COVID death written down since January. Out of how many? can't tell you how many we've done but if, if you're saying there's a pandemic going on there should be more than that but it's like they don't they're not that bothered anymore they can just twist their figures and do whatever is that so would that be hundreds that you do in a year or maybe a hundred yeah yeah but you see last year they were marking anybody and everybody down with it they you would have um they died of other things they were testing them and they were marking them down as covid but now since the vaccination has been going they're not doing that so do you think it's because they feel confident that these uh, injections are working on people that they're not putting yeah, people yeah, down? Yeah, they're just scaring people on the TV. So it's a psychological thing? Yeah, yeah, get your vaccination. What they're going to do now, I don't know, when, when more and more people start dying of this vaccination. I mean, you've had the initial reactions, but what's going to happen down the line? And so... Can I ask, in terms of them last year marking people down, 
as COVID deaths. Um, how many, uh, what, what sort of proportion do you think were falsely attributed? Oh, a high proportion, because they were testing everybody. So if you tested positive and the, that wasn't anything to do with it, I mean, I had one person really upset about it. Um, the person was dying of something else, I think it was cancer at the time, and they marked it down as a COVID death.